This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. It's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm. Oh, I'm in the mood. Makes me want to go shopping. Wait, what? What's little Christmas music? Start things out. Come on, man. Well, hang on now. I know we we do music bads for commercials. What? Why are we just randomly playing Christmas music, Eric? Because it's the holiday. It's the Christmas season, man. We should embed, like, Christmas music in everything we do. It gets everyone in the spirit. Come on. You're not feeling the spirit yet, Conrad? Wait, hang on. So you're, you're like, in a good mood. You're, like, jolly and stuff. I'm dancing, brother. Like, if you're watching on the ad free shows, you can see me just dancing in my chair. If you can't see me dancing in my chair, you can feel me dancing in my chair because it's a holiday spirit. I'm full of it. I am so full of the holiday spirit. So let me ask you, Eric, if you're in, boy, I can't believe this is real, but if you're in such a good mood, why, uh, why are you popping off at my father-in-law, Ric Flair on social media? Hey, I, he started that shit. I had, I, I was perfectly content to sit back and just, you know, I'm my own business and stay quiet. But just started blabbing about a bunch of stuff that he was pissed off at me about. I just defended myself. I'm more than happy. I am more than happy to just let it go. You just forget it all ever happened. So yeah, we could... you see it right here. I mean, if those, everybody that's on ad free shows can see it, you know, we're posting it. Thanks to Steve Kaufman, our incredible producer that found this amazingly festive music. Um, Rick posts this video of him cutting a promo on me from back in whenever. And... 1998, so 24 yeah, years ago. You, and... you wonder why, Eric. You really wonder why, woo. And I, I just pointed out this is some of a, Rick's best work, and he should thank me for that. I brought that out in him. I brought that level of emotion, and I brought out what became really the best Rick Flair. I brought that out of him. He should be thanking me for helping him to get over instead of just being a whiny baby about this whole thing. I don't get it. Well, Eric, uh, you wrote, I made you to Ric Flair. I did make him. I did. But Conrad, if you think about it now, I'm not, I'm not joking around here. And I, and I don't, and this is one of the reasons why I didn't want to get started in this thing because it just escalates and escalates and escalates. And I really hope it all goes away, but I do have to kind of defend myself, at least offer a different perspective. You know, Rick, Rick was in WCW right after Ted Turner bought it. And, you know, it was, it, it, it was great, you know, for a lot of people, but the truth is WCW couldn't make any money with Ric Flair. So what did Ric Flair do? He went to WWE and guess what? Couldn't make any money with Ric Flair and WWE. So guess what? Rick comes back to WCW and WCW still couldn't make any money with him in 93 and 94, which is why I had to go out and get Hulk Hogan. Rick's a great performer. Don't get me wrong. He's been, he's a legend. 
But when it comes to business, I had to do what I had to do. And if evidently that just rubs Rick the wrong way and he can't let it go, I'm really sorry about that. But my God, let it go. Um, I don't really know what to say here. I, uh, I'm scrolling through your Twitter feed and I see basically two different people. There's the version of you that is bouncing around singing Christmas music this morning uh-huh. and the version of you sense? yesterday, who's raising money for Barry Wyndham. And, and we'll come back to that, mm-hmm. but then I'm seeing where you're well, pretty critical of Rick and the four horsemen. Uh, I'm not critical. I'm just pointing out facts. Why is it that people that are fans of Rick and fans of the four horsemen just get all bent out of shape when you present just facts. You know, I mean, I wasn't being critical of the four horsemen. I put them over. They were very, very popular amongst a small regional group of, of fans that when you were in, 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 in the business of entertaining the entire country, that small pocket of fans in North Carolina and in the Southeast in particular that dug the four horsemen. Well, that's cool. But that's not the whole country, you know, and the four horsemen were great during their era, but they certainly weren't a national act. Yeah. You actually quote tweeted someone who says, I, for one, didn't care for the four horsemen. You quote tweeted it and said, very few people outside of North Carolina did. I don't know, man, that, and then uh, another thing you wrote the four H AKA four horsemen and incarnations of it. While I was in WCW was very popular to a local regional audience, mm-hmm. a little beyond it and didn't draw money. WCW was losing millions every year. Neither the four horsemen, Ric Flair could draw money, which is why I brought HHN just facts. Yeah. Why is that hard to, why is that perspective so hard for people to digest? It's a fact. What part of that isn't true? Well, I mean, you're in a tough spot, aren't you, buddy? Couldn't people say the same thing about you? In what regard? Give me the context. I'm just saying, you know, like it's easy for me if I was to say, well, listen, Crockett became a national promotion through TBS. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Well, they had national TV. They were on the same station and, you were. They were on the and, same station you were. And, yeah. And at that time that they were on that station, it did not have a national footprint. It was emerging. It was a super station. It had a strong regional footprint. But to suggest that there was any kind of household penetration nationwide with Turner would be uh, a bit of a stretch. It wasn't until long after um, Ted acquired or created WCW out of Jim Crockett promotions. It took a long time for the Turner networks to gain a national footprint because you're not really a national televised footprint in cable or or obviously broadcast, unless you've got about 91% of the U S in terms of coverage. And early on Turner didn't have that. So they weren't really a national company. Well, he was running shows all over the country. I mean, he was running shows in Philadelphia. That's why they were losing money because they didn't have good TV and they were running shows in markets where they didn't have a strong television footprint. And guess what happens when you do that? 
I mean, the fact remains they sold a shit ton of tickets more than almost anyone else, maybe more than anyone else in 86. Not enough to make profit. No, they made a ton of profit in 85 in 84 and 85 and 86 and 87. And isn't that sort of the story of you and WCW made a ton of profit in 96, 97, 98. Yeah. So, then- you know, you know, much more than I do about the uh, Crockett history. And, and I, I didn't, um, this is the first time I'm hearing, not that I'm doubting what you're saying because you're a veritable fountain of information, incredible information, but this is, uh, I, I didn't realize that Crockett was profitable. Why did they go into bankruptcy then? Uh, and, and, and again, you could draw the parallel. You, you certainly can. I, I know why WCW was sold. WCW didn't go into bankruptcy, even though that's the narrative. It was sold for pennies on the dollar, which is almost the same thing, you know, from a yeah practical standpoint. Yeah. But what I, and I know why it happened with, with WCW, but why did, why did Crockett go out of business then? Why did they go bankrupt? The same reason WCW did history repeated. No, it's not the same reason that's wrong. A, a, WWE, a, a, WCW <laughs> was sold. WCW was sold to WWE <sighs> because Jamie Kellner did not want wrestling on the networks. That's the beginning and right. the end, and it's a well documented conversation. Read Nitro's book; it's not up for debate, really. And that's not why Crockett went into bankruptcy. Wrong. All businesses go out of business because they spend more than they make. Period. There is no other discussion. Crockett's expenses outpaced their income. They lost money. If they were printing cash like they were in 98, they wouldn't have gone out of business. You're you're absolutely wrong about that. You could not be more wrong. That that is absolutely flawed thinking. As a rule. In business, not We're not wrestling. talking about as a rule. We're talking about WCW. All right, listen. It's your, it's your the, show. If I'm not allowed to fucking the... talk, you just go ahead and do your thing. Jack yourself off. You made no mistakes. Crockett did everything that. wrong. It was a simple question, Conrad. You I know, but I'm not allowed that. to even talk. You asked for me to make the point and then cut me off. All right, I'm sorry. That's rude. WCW never made a profit ever until you turned to profit for them in 95. Is that a fact? Um, yes. They made profits in 95, 96, 97, and 98. Is that right? Yes. Crockett made money every year they ever ran except 1988. Okay. So I'm just saying, it's not to say that what happened in the day, how, I mean, what happened way back when I'm seeing people comment on the chat here. By the way, we're doing this in front of a live studio audience over at adfreeshows.com, but you can watch all of this on YouTube. It's 83 weeks on youtube.com. If you want to see us fuss and fight at each other, which was not my plan this morning. I just don't understand. I know because I'm in a holiday spirit. You're not. No, that's not true. I'm just trying to reconcile how you're dancing around, but also just spewing bullshit to Rick because he was one of the biggest draws in the business. Now, if the company wasn't profitable, dot, 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 not his fault. Like was it so 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 and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, I have to make a point in here somewhere. So by that thinking, whenever a company is profitable, it's because of the talent. And whenever a company is losing money, it's because of management. No, that's never the case. When a company is profitable, it's because of management. When a company is losing money, it's because of management. These talent are people doesn't factor in. No, it, it, it's important, but it's not the most important thing to profit. Goodness gracious, you know that. 
If I have a, if if I have a big business that makes a bunch of sales, it means I have a bunch of great salespeople, but if I pay them too much, well, I've overspent, I lose money. That's a bad business. The salespeople are now looking for new jobs. Like, so what we've got in a lot of wrestling organizations throughout history, not just today, but all time are imbalanced books where we're overpaying for this or that, whether it's bringing in country acts for Jim Crockett promotion, stadium tours for the great American bash or overpaying talent or performers or kiss or whatever in WC. It's the exact same thing. People were, now hang on, hang on. People were critical during the great American bash tours. You weren't a fan back then, but let me just say they were paying Waylon Jennings and Willie Nelson and all these guys to come into a stadium and, and try to play music for wrestling fans. Does that sound familiar, Eric? Sure. It sounds familiar. However, it still has nothing to do with why WCW was no longer part of the Turner portfolio. It is absolutely irrelevant. I'm not, I'm not talking about the Turner positioning of stocks and all that. I'm talking about profit and loss debits and credits. Profit and loss had nothing to do with WCW being sold to WWE. Profit and loss had everything to do with Crockett going out of business. Yes, it had everything to do with Crockett going out of business. I'm just not willing to accept that Crockett went out of business for the same reason WCW went out of business. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll pretend that we'll table that. Can we agree that they both had in common that they had profitable years and lost money at the end? Sure. Well, there you go. So, um, you brought Hulk Hogan in and WCW still not out of business. Didn't I'm just saying, I can't wait for you and Rick. Reasons to... it had nothing to do with, with revenue, but yeah. You started this by saying that WCW couldn't make a profit, so you brought Hulk Hogan in. And by the way, when you... And by the way, when I brought Hulk Hogan in, WCW made a profit. Not that year. For the first time, for the first time ever, despite pushing whoever they pushed, including Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen, the first time, the only time WCW ever made a profit was in 95, 96. And that was not the year Hulk Hogan came in. It was the first time WCW ever had primetime TV. That's true. So it took a while, it took a while, but yeah, you're I, right. I can't wait to continue to debate this, but, uh, that's not our topic today. What I do want to talk about before we jump into all of our topic today, cause this is going to be a hot one is, and I can't believe this is real. Uh, we have something special planned coming up at the end of the month. And we've been working on this for a while and I can't believe we pulled it together and maybe our most famous fight ever. God, I can't mm-hmm. believe we're still talking about fights was Starcade 1997. And it's the most famous, most successful WCW storyline, maybe wrestling storyline, certainly wrestling storyline of all time. The NWO, it all came to a head as we know it, it started in, uh, in, I guess, May of 1996. The sting thing really got turned up in September of 96. And by December of 97, it was the most anticipated match, maybe in modern wrestling history. Certainly the biggest WCW pay-per-view of all time. Hollywood Hulk Hogan defending the WCW world title against sting at Starcade 97. And there's been lots of debate about this. It's been discussed and, 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 and dissected forever. And at the end of the month. On the exact 25th anniversary, which is Wednesday, December 28th, we've got something pretty special. And I think our man, Steve Kaufman has a video for us here. Let's take a look, Eric. 
25th anniversary of Starcade 97, the culmination of a year-long build where Sting would finally step back in the ring to face Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. The stage was set for a main event to become immortalized in wrestling history, and it did, but for all the wrong reasons. And for the first time in over 20 years, on that 25th anniversary, Eric Bischoff and Nick Patrick will reunite to watch back and discuss what really happened that night at the MCI Center in Washington, D.C., hosted by Conrad Thompson, a topic that led to one of the most heated exchanges in the history of 83 weeks. And now you're going to act like it's ludicrous that we might think that that's what happened here when you managed to f*** up the single biggest moment in the history of wrestling, and now, 20 years later, you get on here and lie through your f***ing teeth and say it's because he wasn't tan. I'm not lying through my teeth. You finish over a tan? Is this real? Ad-Free Shows presents a premium watch-along event, The Fast Count, with Eric Bischoff and Nick Patrick, December 28th, 10 p.m. Eastern, immediately following AEW Dynamite. All $29 level members and higher are invited to join, and Top Guy members will be able to ask Eric and Nick questions about this controversial night in wrestling. No spray tan necessary. Sign up today and reserve your spot at adfreeshows.com. Eric, I'm uh, I'm pretty fired is, up about that. This is not fair. <laughs> I am gonna get so double teamed by you two. I, this is gonna be mm-hmm. abuse. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to it. Make plans to join us. It's on the exact 25th anniversary of the match, and we're gonna hook up right after AEW Dynamite. I can't believe this is real. Nick Patrick coming to AdFreeShows.com. He's got some pretty uh, interesting stories to tell about that night that you don't want to miss. Eric Bischoff, Nick Patrick, and myself. It's uh, it's not going to be pretty. And uh, I'll be sure to get Ric Flair a little uh, VIP pass to take a look because we're all going to take turns. Just I don't think that's necessary, really. Look, just let honestly, kidding aside, I would love to just see this all settle down. Go back to the way it was. <laughs> every once in a while, I'll bounce into Rick, you know, out on the road at a convention or something, have a couple cocktails, laugh. Let's just go back to that. I, I, I don't want to get all worked up. I don't want to have to say the things that I have to say in order to defend my position and hurt people's feelings. I, I try not to. I try. I really, really, really try to be a kind, gentle, caring person. I try not to get wound up. You try to wind me up, and I'm sure you and Nick will be really good at it together, and this is going to be tough. This is going to be hard, but we'll do it. We'll do it. Let's uh, let's mention one more last thing before we jump into the show today, which is going to be a discussion about the end of TNA. You did a really cool thing this past week. Uh, you jumped on Twitter and did a fun little selfie video sharing great memories of your early days of WCW where you first met Barry Windham and became fast friends with Barry because he was so tight with Dusty and Dusty had taken you under his wing. And you even said, Hey man, uh, if the first 10 people who post that they've donated $50 or more, uh, as a reply to this post, I will go ahead and, and make a donation, uh, or I will go ahead and donate some time. Uh, to give you a call and to do a zoom with you and just fellowship with you and spend a little bit of time as a thank you for donating to Barry. And of course, Barry is uh, still recovering from a heart attack. He had a couple of Fridays ago in the Atlanta airport 
as I understand it, um, a complete and total stranger gave him CPR for nearly 20 minutes until they had the proper medical personnel there to, uh, to get him where he needed to be. So he well, told- I did not hear that Conrad. That's news to me. That's, that's even more amazing. Thank, thank God for that person. A good Samaritan that Barry does not know who it even is saved his life, uh, in an airport in the Atlanta airport. And he was quickly transported to a hospital. They found a hundred percent blockage and, uh, were somehow managed to, uh, to save his life and get him out of ICU. So now he's in a regular room and in recovery and hoping to be home real soon. And boy, he still got a long road of road ahead of him. And in addition to that, unfortunately, like a lot of Americans did not have health care. Uh, so now he's got a figure out how to get back up and going again and feeling better and back out there earning a living. And oh yeah, now you got to dig yourself out of a monster hole. So please go to gofundme.com, do a quick search for Barry Windham and uh, please consider making a donation. It's uh it's nice when wrestling can come together like this and, uh, and do something for somebody who entertained a lot of us for a long time. Right, Eric? Yes. And I do want to point one thing out and I, I by the way, uh, you know, once again, God bless that civilian, the person that no one knows that knew CPR and was willing to, to jump in and save Barry's life because it sounds like that's exactly what this person did. And I think that's amazing. I'd like to find that person yes. to thank them personally, yes. actually. Um, but a lot of times when, too often I should say, I see when, when something like this happens with a legend like Barry uh, or, or any number of others in the past, you know, there's always the haters out there that just enjoy being miserable and make comments about, well, you know, he's been a superstar for all those years. I can't believe, you know, he needs help. And people don't understand that in Barry's era, you know, there were some guys, you know, it's probably no different than any other business where 5% of the people make 75% of the money, you know, and, and this was long before, you know, Barry's era, was before there was the huge money and the guaranteed contracts. And I'm sure Barry made a lot of money, you know, relatively speaking during his run. Um, But it's not enough to live on for the rest of your life. These guys are, they're not like movie stars that have been doing $20 million budget movies for the last 10 or 15 years. And and a lot of these guys had to pay their own expenses and, and life on the road isn't cheap, wasn't cheap. So don't don't assume just because somebody is a is a superstar or in this case a WWE Hall of Famer as Barry is that that just automatically means that they've got all kinds of money because oftentimes that's not the case and I'm I'm really grateful to everybody you know we we I didn't know how much response we'd get I'd get from posting that you know I thought maybe if you know over the course of a day or two we would get ten people to respond. I had 10 people respond within about 40 minutes and some of them donated as much as 200 bucks. Right. You know, and I just, I was so touched by that genuinely, honestly touched by that, the generosity and the compassion of the people that are wrestling fans. They're just very, very grateful for that. And uh, I hope, you know, Kurt Angle, Mick Foley, Tony Schiavone, Bruce Pritchard, come on, jump on in, do the same thing, man. It's 10 calls takes about 20 minutes make you feel good when you're done fantastic just capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good companies like bank of america which just earned the just capital seal 
Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Uh, it, it, man, it's just, it's weird. It's like you're two human beings and, uh, you're a complicated man, Eric Bischoff, complicated. Man. <laughs> uh, let's jump into it. Uh, we got a lot to talk about here today. We're talking about TNA. And of course, uh, earlier this year, we talked about your on-screen role in TNA. It ended after the lockdown pay-per-view. And now you're going to solely focus on your role as an executive producer uh, and you actually wrote in your new book, Grateful, which is available for purchase now and can be delivered just in time for Christmas over on Amazon. Just go to amazon.com, type in Grateful Eric Bischoff, bam, there it is. But you wrote that TNA was always saying, quote, let's go ahead and see what happens. But there was no real plan after that. Is that a Dixie issue sort of down the line where she was more reactive rather than proactive? No, and I want to be really careful on this episode because... I've learned this about myself as I've learned a lot of things since doing this podcast with you. Um, it's been very cathartic. I love that word. Cathartic. It's a $5 word. Good um, job. Yeah, it is a $5 word. Um, I was, I was very frustrated at, at different points in times in, in while I was in business with TNA, but that frustration was primarily because I just didn't understand why they TNA and, and, and TNA management in particular, not Dixie Carter individually, but why they, why they didn't take certain advantages of certain opportunities, why there wasn't a, a bigger vision to grow the company, to, to, to be a bigger, stronger company. There was just a lot of things that I saw as opportunity that I couldn't get anybody to act on. And that led to a lot of frustration. But what I've learned is, you know, I didn't, just because I didn't see their vision doesn't mean they didn't have one. Right. I just didn't see it. I saw no indications of it. I saw nothing that strategically in terms of where TNA was going. I I, I never saw nor heard anything that made me think, wow, they're really trying to build this company. Everything that I saw and heard gave me the impression that they were just very happy with things exactly the way they were. And that's frustrating for someone like me. It's like, wait a minute, you've got all this opportunity, you know, and I gave the example, you know, when UFC was on Spike TV for a number of years, mm-hmm. a lot of people, I think, in, in, in the MMA industry would possibly agree with me when I say that one of, not the only, but one of the key things that made UFC so successful and grow so quickly was the reality show. Yes. That, 100%. That UFC had on Spike. I, I, I don't think that's debatable. Again, not the sole reason, but a big part of it. Let me add some context to that, Eric. The UFC was hemorrhaging cash. They were losing money hand over fist to the point where the Fertitas. Uh, who were really the financial backing of the whole outfit called Dana white. And after they were like 40 million down and said, can you get us out of this thing? He went and found a buyer and then they got cold feet and decided to continue. And they self-funded a reality show that no one would buy. 
and, and fund themselves. And then once they had it going and they covered all the costs, okay, Spike took a flyer on them. And man, that first live special and the subsequent pay-per-views turned their fortunes around. It went from a major money losing operation to the multi-billion dollar outfit it is now. But just like the NWO was sort of the, the match that set the wrestling business on fire in 1996. Well, the ultimate fighter season one did that for mixed martial arts and specifically the UFC. Thank you for that. Thanks for that context. And Spike TV and UFC enjoyed that relationship for a number of years. I don't remember how long, but it was a number of years, a number of seasons of that show. And then the show got so popular that UFC, Dana White and UFC decided to shop it and take it to another network or to look for another broadcast partner, an opportunity. And that was at the time that I was a part of TNA and had been a part of TNA for some time. I had a Decent relay. I don't want to overstate my relationship with Kevin Kay, who was the president of Spike at the time, or Scott Fishman, um, who, who was kind of the liaison between Spike and TNA. But I, I, I had a decent relationship with him. And I, you know, there were times when I would have conversations with him, that, with them, that were sometimes beyond just the scope of day to day TNA stuff. And it became apparent in one of those conversations, and I think it was Kevin Kay. I, I, I don't remember. It might have been Scott. It's hard to remember. But having this conversation about how Spike TV, they learned the hard way. They realized, Viacom realized that they had spent so much time and money building up that UFC property with the reality show. They recognized that they put that company on the map. Yes. And they watched how quickly that company blew up. Yep. And then when Dana White and UFC took that television series and shopped it down the street, it left a big hole. And in uh, in Spike's programming, and I think the, the I'm paraphrasing some of the conversations of, at the time, but it was like we, we woke up one day and realized that we're spending all this time building somebody else's brand, and they're taking it down the street for somebody else's benefit. And there was conversations which led to an actual transaction where Spike was saying things like, "Look, we, if we're going to do that again, we want to own a piece of the company that we're building, and and we're helping to build." And I, when I heard that, my first thought was, this is perfect because TNA was having issues at that time. And it was probably more communication issues, maybe commitment issues, I'm not sure, but cash flow was a real issue. And I never really understood the dynamics between Panda, which was the funding company as I understood it, um, I never understood that relationship, whether it was originally designed to be a very short-term investment and they wanted to get their cash out and move on, or if it was a long-term, I never really understood. But I but I did sense that there were a lot of financial challenges. Not that Panda didn't have the money, but whether or not they wanted to invest it in TNA. And I thought, what a better opportunity right now to go to Spike, Viacom, and say, look, we want to be your partner. Yes. There's nobody better to be a partner with if you're in a wrestling business than a television network. Because then their interests are the same as your interests. And it changes things. And you have a sense of security. And you've got a strong foundation. And Spike turned around and bought Bellator. Yes, they did. A small little MMA company. And that, and by the way, Bellator is still on. Yes. <laughs> Paramount Network, Scott Coker, who I've known since Scott was like 10 years old, 
it's funny. I, I, I knew Scott's uh, martial arts instructor. I used to compete with him. And uh, that, that's when I first met Scott. But here no, there, sorry, went off into the weeds. But, you know, I'm thinking, wait a minute. They, they're, make, they're not just talking about owning these companies and, and, and these entities. They just went out and bought one. And I really wanted that to happen for TNA because I thought it would give TNA the stability and the growth opportunity that it really needed to go beyond just that local, you know, soundstage wrestling show in front of 350 people once a week. Couldn't get a bite. Couldn't get anybody interested. There may have been reasons why that weren't obvious to me. I don't know, but it led to a lot of frustration for me. Just missed opportunity. That's all. That's usually what makes me spout off is missed yes. opportunities. Yes. Hey, let's mention too, that the, um, the opportunity for the UFC to level up and get a better deal and leave spike. They announced that in August of 2011, in December of 2011, Viacom bought Bellator MMA. So what Eric is saying is right on perhaps the best interest of impact back in the day would have been to sell part of, or the majority of the promotion to the television network. And boy, you dirt, you definitely guarantee your, your long-term livelihood with an arrangement like that. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about something else that I know that everybody is interested in this time of year. Steve, do we have any, any more of that festive holiday music we could play for Eric? Cause I think just a little bit right now would really help us. I hope so. There we go, Eric. Tis the season for clean balls. Fa la 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 la. Our friends at Manscaped are helping you clear your driveway for safe travels this holiday season. From stocking stuffers to white elephants, Manscaped's products are at the top of every wish list. Grab some crop mops for your pops or the body buffer for the holiday lover. Win this year's white elephant gift and help all the men in your life go from eggnog to nice hog this holiday season by going to manscaped.com and use the promo code 83 weeks for 20% off plus free shipping. Manscaped is your one-stop shop for all your holiday needs. They have the perfect gift in the Platinum Package 4.0, plus loads of little presents perfect for stocking stuffers. What better holiday gift than giving the gift of good hygiene and a few laughs? I've done this before, and when they open that box and they see that logo, there's a chuckle. They hold it up. They show everybody in the room. Can you believe what Uncle Conrad got me? Actually, I didn't give it to a nephew, but you know what I'm saying. They got all your stuff for your uh, stocking stuffers too, man. Shampoos, body washes, deodorants for upstairs and downstairs. Gels, exfoliants, everything you need to keep it clean, Janine. Oh, they also got a brand new pair of Manscaped boxers. Don't let those chestnuts roast in the wrong boxers. <laughs> right? We're going to keep them cool all year long. How about dirty ass nose hairs? Your dad's probably got a couple dangling right now. Hook him up with the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer. It's the best I've ever used. Cheers 2.0 is their nail kit. It's got everything, clippers, tweezers, and a file. The preserved cologne, I know Eric's going to love. It's a light, breezy, woodsy feel. You're going to smell like a damn lumberjack all year long, not just around Christmas. And hey, are you still using a loofah? Man, it's covered with bacteria and dead skin. Throw that turd out. Get a, a body buffer. It's going to feel smoother, but act tougher. But most importantly, you know where we're going. The Lawn Mower 4.0. 
This thing's got a light on it. It's going to light your gimmick up like Rudolph. But if you want to cut yourself, you got advanced skin safe technology. No uh, nicks and cuts on Santa's sack if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Holiday shopping's never been easier for the dudes in your life. Give them Manscaped. It will pay dividends for them if you follow me here. Get 20% off. You can take all your dick hair off. You can take 100% of it off. But take 20% off. And free shipping with this promo code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Be sure to use that promo code 83 weeks. Manscaped, the perfect gift for this holiday's biggest hit. Eric, what's uh what's your favorite product for Manscaped? You still you still rocking a smooth hog or what are we looking at these? Smooth smooth as silk, brother. Mrs. B loves that. <laughs> but I I Oh, she does. Okay. Why is that so funny? We're sitting here talking about shaving your balls and dick hair and everything else. And I, I don't know. Comment that my my wife likes it. You know, she likes clean shaven. Well, I don't know why that's inappropriate. But it's not. I love. It. It's just you know, it's a fact of life. Y'all are like my it's, aunt and uncle. It it's a little weird. That's all. I'm allowed to I'm say that. Nervous. I'm a little weird. I'm proud of it. I would be too. Mrs. B's roll tied. Good for you. She, Sh- shave it she's off. Do what she wants. Hell. She's way way above my pay grade. I don't, I'm st- Still happy to have it. I don't know what we're doing right now. Um, I'm, I'm, I, this is awkward. Go to manscaped.com. I don't need this. So let's be talking about it. But by the way, Mr. Kaufman, we do want to see some comments here. I mean, <laughs> you have a live audience. And it's one of the fun things about doing this. It adds a level of energy. Now, you don't have to post every comment that comes up because that could be a little bit distracting in terms of doing the show because we want to respond to some stuff. But if you see some appropriate, funny, or just off-the-wall comments, throw them up just to break up the monotony. People are tired of hearing my shit already. I'm sure of it. Buddy, we are covered up. It looks like we've got dozens of folks watching live now. As a reminder, when you uh, join us over at adfreeshows.com, you don't just get the shows early. You get to sit in when we do them live and interact with us. And uh, we would love for you to take a look. And don't forget, on the 25th anniversary, we're going to be beating up Eric together with Nick Patrick. Can't wait. Uh, yeah, but did you see that post from Chris Neal? He loves hearing the ads, and I think that's one of the things that makes this show so much fun is because we do live reads, and they are improv and sometimes they're – I mean, there there have been times when listening to you read an ad has, has brought tears to my eyes. It's so funny. So I like doing it, man. I love – I think the ads are some of the fun part of the show. I totally agree. And and we greatly appreciate our sponsor. Uh, love us some manscaped. They've been with us for a long, long time and serious business. They're going to get you good products, but it is a phenomenal gift that they will remember. And here's what I mean. What'd you get your dad or your uncle or a guy at work or your buddy? What'd you get them last year? They don't remember and neither do you. You give them manscaped. They're going to talk about it forever. It's, it's a conversation. Start. Take my word. You know what? And Conrad, you asked me what, what, Manscaped product I like the most, and then we got off on a tangent talking about my wife liking my shaved balls. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, wow. The uh, God, I hope my son isn't listening to this. That's what I was thinking awkward. the whole time. I was like, man, Garrett, Lord bless him. It's just going to be awkward. He's probably yeah. used to it, you know, by now. But it's still a little weird, I'm sure. Yeah. But I love the weed whacker because I I have, as you could tell, my hair is kind of like it's it's platinum. It's like shiny, bright white. And 
when you have hair like this, the hair in your nose is the same color. So it's not like, you know, you got your dark little nostrils up there, like you got dark hair and your dark little nostrils and your black hair up in your dark little, it's not obvious, right? You can have a hairy nose and get away with it. Yes. Right. Unless somebody's shorter than you and you're a big dude. What are you about? Six, three, six, four. Yeah. So there's a lot of people shorter than you. And when they yes. come up and talk to you, guess what? They're looking right up. Your <laughs> nose. They see things that you can't see when you look in the mirror. Yeah. Well, when you have hair like this, my son's calling me right now. He's probably listening live. He's going, dad, shut the fuck up. And what are you talking about? But when you have hair like this, and somebody's shorter than you and they're looking up talking to you and all they can see is that white hair in your now nose. It's really awkward. And I can see it in their eyes when they're focused on my nose hair. I can see that they're distracted. So the weed whacker comes in handy for me. I'm not as tall as you. I don't always have people shorter than me looking up at me. But when I do, rest assured, I do not have a nostril full of platinum colored nose hair. There you go. Well, uh, I can't recommend it enough. Check it out. Manscaped.com. The promo code is 83 weeks. Uh, let's talk about your book, Eric. You wrote in your book that TNA's continued reliance on big names was hurting the company. Um, I guess a lot of people are going to find that odd that you have that take considering, well, it's kind of how you blew up WCW is bringing over big names from the WWF, but in fairness, you probably brought i mean listen not to be rude hulk hogan was the biggest star in all of wrestling when you brought him over it's not as if tna landed john cena right yes and let me kind of dig a little deeper on this subject tna they brought in Scott Hall, what, in 2007? Yeah, sounds Before right. I ever showed up. I mean, he was there in 02, brought, but yeah, he, he was around a few times, yeah. Yeah. Um, they brought in, you know, Sting was there when I got there, mm -hmm. right? McFoley was there when I got there. There were a lot of big names that had been in and out of TNA before I even showed up, or Hulk and I showed up. And certainly when we got there, you know, uh, Hulk had a couple Hulk was a very big proponent of bringing in Jeff Hardy and Ric Flair and, and a couple others, as well as some other talents that were not so high up on the Q chart, so to speak. But my issue with TNA, their issue wasn't talent. They had plenty of talent. What they didn't do was what they needed to do for business, which was to get that thing out of a soundstage. And my point always was, and still is, they could have brought in John Cena. They could have brought in The Undertaker. They could have brought in anybody they wanted to bring in. But as long as that show was continued to be produced inside of a soundstage, it would never have credibility with the audience, regardless of who you brought in. They could have flown Undertaker in when he was at the peak of his career, dropped him from a helicopter right into that soundstage, and it would have been the hottest thing going, and the ratings would have gone through the roof, through the roof for a period of about three to four weeks, and they would have flatlined back to where they were because the product had no credibility. It didn't resonate with the audience because it didn't have that big arena feel. It had a game show feel regardless of what talent was on the show. And – 
you know, Jeff Jarrett probably has a different opinion and I respect it. You know, Jeff's been around longer than I have, but you can't just bring in talent and not have a strategy to grow your business. And it always came down to that for me. That was my frustration. You can bring in all the talent you want. It won't matter if you don't have a bigger strategy. Well said. Uh, one of the bigger moments after you're off TV has to do with the WWE. They're going to allow Christian to appear on a TNA pay-per-view to announce the number one moment in TNA's history at Slammiversary 10. And this was a make good for having Ric Flair appear, uh, appear at their hall of fame in WrestleMania. And it raised a lot of eyebrows at the time because this is effectively a negotiation and a trade. And we traded Ric Flair, no disrespect for Christian. what do you think of that call? I love the idea that TNA allowed Rick to be a part of the WWE. That was a classy move. Yes. On TNA's part. Yes. The fact that they negotiated for an appearance for a WWE person, I thought diminished the class. Now it's transactional. Yeah. What started out as a classy move turned into a transactional move. And I thought WWE, or excuse me, TNA lost some goodwill amongst the fans. And and nothing against Christian. No, I think Christian had been in TNA or yes before or after whatever another WWE name that didn't move the needle in TNA for the same reasons that I talked about moments ago. Great talent, no question about it. Absolutely, didn't matter. Didn't move the needle, um, because there was no strategy. But I thought I thought the move was a great move in the beginning. I was a little disappointed that they. diminished it by doing a quid pro quo. I just didn't like that part, but you know, it was good for Rick. It didn't hurt Christian and it didn't help TNA. So it was kind of a neutral move, right? It was a, it was a lateral move. Ultimately could have been a big move. If, if TNA just would have let Rick do what Rick wanted to do and WWE wanted to do and just let the goodwill stand rather than, trying to make something of it. Can you believe it? It's finally here. It's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you get stressed out about how to pay for it. Savewithconrad.com can help you make this the best Christmas ever. You won't make a house payment for the next two months. That's right. Skip your next two house payments and use all that cash for your extra holiday expenses. And come next year, you're going to have a lower monthly payment. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Pay your credit card debt off at Savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Savewithconrad.com. We, uh, we would see one of these homegrown talents become a champion here. Bobby Roode wins the world title in 2012. What'd you think of Bobby Roode as the world champion of the brand? Shout out to Bobby Roode. He's healing up now from some major back surgery. Um, Bobby, Bobby Roode, you know, I, I didn't get to know Bobby too much until towards the end, really the last year and a half or so, two years of my, my run with Tina. And I don't even know how long I was there, maybe four years, five years, whatever it was. Uh, but Bobby was, you know, quiet, professional, just did the work. Um, I, I, I didn't really start to get to know Bobby personally till towards the end of my, my run there and just have nothing but respect for him. An amazing talent. I'm, I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't break through a little more than he did 
since he's been in WWE, perhaps things would be different now under, you know, new creative direction, but you know, Bobby's on a bad, bad end of a, of an injury stick. So who knows what his future looks like, but as a talent, as a professional, as a person, nothing but highest regard for Bobby. Roode. Did you think, uh, he could have been a big star as the champ? He could have been the flag bearer. He could have been the torch bearer. He could have moved the needle or was it just in that environment? It was going to be tough no matter who it was. No, no matter who it was. I mean, you could certain Bobby certainly deserved to be in that position, but if Kurt Angle couldn't move the needle, if Mick Foley couldn't move the needle, if Sting couldn't move the needle, if Scott Hall and Kevin Nash couldn't move the needle, if Booker T couldn't move the needle, if Christian couldn't move the needle, if Jeff Hardy couldn't move the needle, why does anybody think that anybody else would? Right. I mean, it's just, and that's the part that, you know, still to this day, if I allow myself to think about it too much, I'll get all wound up again because it was such a missed opportunity. But, you know, that's, you know, not to go off on this at all, but it's like when I do become vocal about AEW and I know it comes off like I'm trying to, you know, bury Tony and I'm not, I, I really am not. I genuinely like Tony. I just have lost some respect for him along the way. And my frustration or my commentary about AEW is often born out of the same kind of frustration that I felt in TNA. It's like, there's some massive opportunities here. You know, going back to my first kind of, negative comment about Tony when I basically said, shut up and wrestle, quit comparing yourself to WWE and creating an illusion because in the process, you're going to lose goodwill. Yeah. That was my point. I didn't make that point in my comment, but that was my reason for going Just shut up and wrestle, dude, just put out a better product. The, let the audience put your product over. Don't you put your product over. I used to say that. I used to say that to DDP all the time. Mm. Because when when DDP was in, and there's a parallel here, there's a reason I'm bringing this up, but when D- DDP was really starting to transition from that over-the-top super gimmick character, just trying to be a little bit of everybody, he was Dusty Rhodes, he was Superstar Billy Graham, he was Jake the Snake Roberts, you know, he was like 15 different characters all rolled up into one. Right. And once he started making that transition to becoming that just – blue collar, you know, all American dude, right. That everybody could relate to. Um, I, I used to tell him in your, in his promos, man, don't do not put yourself over because the minute you put yourself over, you're, you're taking away any need or desire by your fan base, or your audience to do it for you. And the strength in, in building your brand or building your character, isn't you going out and getting yourself over. It's you going out and getting the audience to put you over because mm-hmm. the audience putting you over makes all the difference in the world. Otherwise you're just another wrestling personality out there trying to get yourself over and people tune that shit out. But when you quit trying to put yourself over, focus on your character and your work, all of a sudden the audience is doing it for you. And the audience putting you over is worth tenfold you trying to do it yourself. And that was my point when I made the comment back in November of shut up and wrestle. It's just quit putting yourself over and let the audience do it because that creates goodwill. 
But the more you put yourself over, in this case, Tony, the more Tony put himself over or put AEW over or in, in, in the process, trying to belittle WWE, who is a monster, you know, they're the, they're Goliath and you're not, but by constantly taking shots at them and trying to convince the audience that you're better than they are, you're, you're not giving the, you're not taking advantage of the goodwill that you have automatically. That's, that was my point. And when I say, you know, or when I've said in the past about TNA and bringing in all that big name talent, same thing, right? You can see the parallels. You can bring in anybody you want. Without the right strategy, it won't matter. You're going to lose ground, just like TNA did. There's a lot of parallels there between AEW today and TNA in the past. I know people get annoyed uh, when they hear that, but um, it's worth discussing. I mean, I don't know why TNA has this weird LOL TNA stigma, but the reality is they had a lot of great talent. They had a lot of viewers. They did have a lot of success. And I think a lot of people say, well, well, it could have been greater. It could have been bigger. Isn't that true for almost every business though? Um, and that's what we're trying to do is we're trying to, uh, to learn and, and, and get better. And, and one of the things that i really struggle with, with TNA is we talked about at the start of this discussion that. You know, you were pretty critical on them relying on old stars, but clearly that had worked before. And, and Tony's tried that too, and to, to draw a modern parallel. But now when we do it with a homegrown talent, like Robbie rude, maybe that's met with criticism too. And so it's like, you know, we're trying to, to please everyone and you can never do that. You can't please everyone all the time. You can please some of the people, some of the time, uh, as they say, but like, uh, I could see how that's frustrating. Like, all right, we're going to, we're going to put it on a former, we're going to put it on Booker T. Oh, well, that's just, we've seen that. We want something new. Okay. We're going to put it on Booker Bobby Roode. Well, I don't see him as a top guy. Well, we got to give these guys an opportunity. And he gave Bobby Roode an opportunity. He drops it to Austin Aries. Austin Aries had been a ring of honor world champion and highly regarded at the time as one of the best quote unquote, independent and up and coming young talent and blah, blah, blah. What'd you think of Austin Aries as the world champ in that decision? I, I really like, I liked working with Austin Aries. He was really intense and he rubbed people the wrong way often, which is kind of why I related to him Yeah, <laughs> because he was singularly focused, you know, and, and sometimes a little myopic and self-serving meaning, you know, he kind of looked at the world through a straw and he was looking at, you know, what was best for him. And that, that was challenging with him from time to time. But I also found that if you took the time to sit down and really explain things and dig into an angle or a story and explain why it couldn't all be about Austin Aries, he was very quick to recognize that. He was very easy to work with. He was sometimes challenging to communicate with. And that's because he was super passionate and really freaking smart. He's also a very intelligent dude. And sometimes people who are passionate and really smart are a little hard to communicate with, um, but not impossible. You just have to learn how I enjoyed working with Austin Aries. Now as a champion, I think that was an interim thing. One of the reasons that I was a fan of Austin Aries, uh, obviously his work in the ring was phenomenal. I really enjoyed watching him in the ring, but he had, he, he could not only do really cool athletic cruiserweight ish things, which I've always enjoyed, uh, but he was good on a mic. 
cut a hell of a promo. So he was more of a complete package in that regard. But he was a little bit on the smaller side, which even at that time was less of an issue than it used to be back in the 80s and the early 90s, even late 90s. It was less of an issue, but it was still an issue when you put him in a ring with somebody who was noticeably bigger than him. It made it a little harder for the audience to buy in. But as a transitional champion, as a challenger, he was one of the, one of the better ones. I, I do think there's something to the argument of saying our guys are more exciting. And you go back to, you know, even the the Nitro days. Like, okay, there there may have been bigger wrestlers on the show, but the usually the most exciting matches were the the cruiserweights. So to take a, what's clearly an X division guy. I mean, I think Austin Aries was even the X division champ at the time and to sort of blur the lines of, Hey, wait a minute. That doesn't normally go here just based on the visual eye test. But when it came to the excitement, man, the X division, they had some cruiserweights who could do some amazing stuff that maybe, you know, the Booker T's or the Scott Steiners or the Kevin Nash's could not. Right. Well, that's the, that was the whole idea. And that was another really, fr- I mean, there was a couple of things that I used to just, my, my head would explode, you know, the lockdown pay-per-view where every match was in a cage stupid was like the dumbest damn idea. I don't know whose idea it was. I'm sure I'm offending somebody whose last name is Jarrett, but man, I hated that idea. I just, nobody could explain to me why it made any sense. Cause it sucked. There was not one reasonable explanation. In fact, when I challenged people in a room, in the, and when I say I challenged people, I wasn't like pounding my chest, but just really trying to figure out and understand, probably in a conversation similar to this, trying to understand what's the logic behind that. Why are you doing this? Why are you putting every single match in a cage? And the, and the matches that they put in a cage for that particular pay-per-view didn't really have any story behind it that should have that would have led it into a cage typically. So it was just weird. That was one of them. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. I got, we're talking about uh, cruiserweights and how exciting they are. And, and, Oh, that was the other thing. You should drive me batshit. The X division. Yeah. There's no limit. What's the X division. I'd raise my hand and pretty, Oh, we're going to have an X division tournament. Okay, cool. I'm all in over here. Teacher teacher. What makes the X division different than anything else? Oh, it's the rules. Okay. What are the rules? Well, the rules are, there are no rules. Well, that was just what we saw last night because there were no rules in that match either. So what, what, what's the thing? What is the, the, the characteristic of the X division match? Right. That may, or X division that makes it different than anything else we see every week. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Well, because there's no rules. Cool. There's no weight limit. 
There's no rules. Even though the matches that we see each and every week on the show basically have no rules because the rules were really not firmly established in TNA at the time, nor are they really now. Every once in a while, they become part of the story. But for the most part, you know, you see shit everywhere on every wrestling show that defies any sense of logic if there were actually rules. But in TNA's case, it was more so. It was was exponential. Something else. That used to drive me. That used to drive me crazy. Rules are there are no rules. That's what the X Division is. And some guys were you know, really great at it. And, and there were some great cruiserweights in the exhibition, but there were also guys that weren't so great. Something that is great is you guys decide to hit the road. Now we know it doesn't last long, but when you're on the road, you can see a difference in show quality almost immediately. Instead of playing mm-hmm. to these same fans on a sound stage who got in for free week in, week out, not that there's anything wrong with that. Going to a new audience where they don't get to see this show you know, every month now they've got to buy a ticket and go stand in line and pay for parking. And this is exciting. They're coming to my area. The shows feel better on the road. I don't think that's even debatable. And I know that the economics are going to become a factor because while we're, we're getting good reactions for the television product, it's maybe not affecting the bottom line the way we hoped. Right. Well, and that was, uh, you know, another source of frustration for me because based on at that point, 25 years of experience or 20 years of experience, having made some decisions that led to huge success and having made some choices and decisions that led to not success, failure, uh, dismal performance, but the, the, the combined experience of that 20 or 25 years convinced me and does to this day that if you want your professional wrestling show televised event to feel important and to have credibility and to resonate with an audience, you have to do it in front of a live crowd. Yes. And, and, and in an arena because the television audience has been conditioned since probably the seventies to see professional wrestling inside of a venue with a live crowd. The crowd is just as much uh, of an important part of the show as the two guys in the ring. We learned that during the pandemic, did we not? I mean, those people learned it the hard way during the pandemic, how painful it was. And shooting your show in a soundstage is only about a notch or two above a virtual crowd on television. Right. It's you, you have to have it. And it's so subliminal. And, and subconscious, I guess, is a better way to say it, with the television audience, because as they tune into a show, if that live crowd isn't reacting in a way that tells me as a viewer that I'm watching something valuable and important or compelling, I'm not going to watch it. Right. And it, it, it's a little bit like, I, I, I hate trying to draw analogies, but, you know, the Rolling Stones, if they're going to have a televised event and they did it in a small venue with 200 people, it wouldn't feel like you're watching the Rolling Stones. It would be okay, but you're not going to feel like you're there. You're not, it's not going to have the energy and the emotion. And I've somebody, I didn't quote this. I didn't come up with this. Somebody told me once 
and I don't even know if it's true, but it, it makes sense to me. Somebody told me once that Elvis Presley early on, somebody asked him in an interview, what's, what's the most important, important part of your performance? And he said, the audience. Because if the audience is live, if there's energy in the audience, I'm paraphrasing now, but if there's energy in the audience, that is a part of the live experience. And it becomes a part of the television experience for those watching at home. Right. Subtly, subliminally, perhaps, but it's there. And when you go into a soundstage where you don't have that same energy, it, 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 people at home feel that. And that's what happened to TNA that, and the part that going back to the question, so sorry, I go off at these tangents, but taking the show on the road was something I was a big advocate for. It wasn't my choice. I didn't get to choose. I didn't even get to vote, but I did get to talk. And I talked a lot about going on the road and in similar fashion to what I just did here, why it was so important to the overall quality of the product and the ability to grow the product. And it was like, okay, we're going to try it. Spike was all in. They love the idea, but TNA had to pay for it. Right. And it was a lot more expensive. And I told everybody, I mean, I was vocal about it. Look, you're not going to see, a, a change overnight. You're not going to go from 2 million viewers or 1.9 million viewers to 3 million viewers overnight. You're going to get there incrementally with a plan and a strategy. And the idea was, okay, we're going to go out on the road. And they did it for like two or three weeks and they didn't see a change in the ratings. Went, okay, we're done with that. That's what I mean about short-term thinking or not having a plan or a vision or being willing to financially support it because it is true. It would have cost a lot more money and you and TNA might have lost money in the process for a year or two while they were building it. But if you had a television partner, if you were in business with your network and everybody saw the payoff at the end of the two or three year investment, you might have a different outcome. TNA might be around today on, on the Paramount Network. But instead it was, nope, well, we're going to take the show live and see what happens. Well, short-term thinking, short-term results. Well, there was something that uh, a lot of us were questioning. What are they thinking? We're talking about Claire Lynch. And let's talk about it because this was a pretty controversial topic at the time. Of course, it's interwoven a big storyline here with there's a baby and maybe someone was stepping out on their wife and AJ styles is involved. And of course he's normally just in traditional wrestling stories and arguably one of the best wrestlers in the world by this point, but he's not really been put into the soap opera side of the business. And this is maybe the first step in that direction. And as critical as we, cause I was too fans were of it at the time. Bruce Pritchard says that probably did more for Vince McMahon to see something in AJ styles than almost anything else AJ did because it gave him a chance to see how AJ could tell a story, not just do a fun, cool move. Um, what'd you think of the, the, the Claire Lynch storyline? I had a blast on that one. And and I think. I don't know how much Jason Hervey had to do with that one or not. I might've, that might've been all me. I'm not sure, but I loved it. And 
not because it was the greatest storyline ever, but because it forced AJ and Dixie and everybody else in TNA to start looking at AJ a little differently. But I was more concerned about AJ because AJ was, and I used to, you know, whenever I hear somebody go, yeah, but he's a homegrown talent. Do you think the fucking audience cares? Nope. Really? Nope. They don't. No. And there was so much emphasis internally on homegrown talent for the sake of being homegrown talent at the expense of a better quality product. And I'm not suggesting that talent that's been there from the beginning and loyal and, and probably worked in under conditions financially and otherwise that weren't ideal at the time. And now as a company's growing, sure. You want to, you, you want to be loyal to the people that have been loyal to you. I'm not suggesting that that shouldn't be the case, but I am suggesting that putting people in positions simply because they were homegrown talent is probably not the right idea. Maybe once in a while you'll get lucky. And with AJ, because everybody had such a high opinion of AJ and rightfully so, including me and, and Hulk when we first got there, but we also recognize that AJ didn't have a lot of character. Right. He was just that guy that would go out and have that great match. And he was a homegrown talent and he would cut his promos and every promo would sound basically like the one that we heard last week. There was just not a lot of depth to that character. So at the point where I was starting to have a little bit more influence, perhaps a lot more influence and, and was really trying to create stories and not just great matches and again, there were a lot of great matches in TNA before I ever got there, yes. certainly even after I got there, but the great matches weren't moving the needle at all. Go back and look at it and go back and look at the ratings that was going on before I got there. And after I got there, they were, they were what they were and it wasn't growing. So the idea is, okay, if we want to grow, in my opinion, the two things we had to do was add more credibility to the show and take it on the road and create more stories. Now, the Claire Lynch story was kind of taking advantage of the perception that everybody had of, of, and by the way, it was true. I mean, AJ Styles is kind of like the salt of the earth, yes. you know, he's got a little bit of a hair trigger, so he does have a character flaw in there somewhere, but you, 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 you got to really deserve it to find it, but he's a very, um, he, he's he's a spiritual person. He's an honest person. He is hardworking. He's about as real of a human being as you can find, right? But we needed to see more than that out of his character. And the Claire Lynch story kind of took advantage of the fact that everybody would think, you know, we wanted to set it up in a way. Hey, Allison, he was great in New Japan, too. He was, by the way. Thanks for joining us, Allison Faye. We love this. Um, that wholesome attitude i thought wow we could play with that what yes. if we could tease the audience to think that perhaps there was a darker side of aj that he wasn't that pure as the driven snow you know milk toast white bread baby face that he maybe had a skeleton in his closet and we led people down that path and they started judging him only to find out he's more righteous than anybody even thought he was but we wanted to lead the audience into making assumptions and thinking less of AJ. Oh my God, he's got a pregnant girlfriend and Oh, he's not this wholesome, you know, baby face. We thought he was, he's got a dark side to him 
only to find out, in fact, no, he doesn't. That was the idea behind that story. And you can, you know, think whatever you want to think about the story. I, you know, it's not like the best idea I've ever come up with either. But the thing that I did like about it is because it encouraged at a time when he was now becoming open-minded to trying different things with his character, it encouraged AJ to embrace something that a year or two earlier, he would have flat out just not, he couldn't have gotten himself comfortable enough with it to even try. He didn't see himself as any, as a character any, any differently than he was right back then. And now he's, now he's engaging and embracing, by the way, a storyline that's forcing him to learn how to become a different character and a more layered character. And I think it brought out a lot of, a lot of good. AJ, I think AJ just discovered he, he could be become a different character and actually he may not have liked the storyline, but I think he liked performing in it because it challenged him. And AJ's an athlete. AJ's an amateur wrestler and a good one. You know, amateur wrestlers are, you know, in my opinion, I mean, I think all sports are good for kids of all ages, whether it's swimming or tennis or golf or football. I think there's a lot of great things that come out of amateur sports for kids. And you have to learn and evolve and be on a team and all that. But amateur wrestlers are different cats yep. for the most part. You're out there, basically your underwear. It's just you and your opponent. Yep. And you're grinding it out and you can't blame the quarterback. You can't blame your defensive line. You can't, or your offensive line. You can't blame this. Can't blame that. Can't blame the pitcher. Can't blame the catcher. It's just you out there one-on-one and you either survive or you fail or you succeed or you fail based on your own abilities. And cats like that are different by nature. And I think this, that storyline, I don't want to say forced, but basically forced AJ to go, okay, I'm going to leave that behind and I'm going to try something else. And I think it's probably one of the reasons is talked about that AJ ended up where he did in, in, in WWE, because I think people in WWE saw because of that storyline that there's a lot more potential as a character to AJ styles than people thought just because he was a great wrestler. Well, I mean, it's, it's fun, you know, because it is out of his comfort zone and I think you know, he made the most of it, but I could see how fans like myself thought it was a dog of an idea. I mean, maybe the only way, and I guess, I guess, you know, eventually you guys did do some sort of DNA test, but Hey, speaking of dog DNA tests, let's talk to you about embark. I'm pretty fired up about this. This is something that you and I both did. We love our dogs. Occasionally you'll hear ginger and baby in the background at my house and We'll hear Nikki at your house, but we love our dog and we love learning more about our dog. Why do they do what they do? And what's their backstory? Is there a Claire Lynch in their background that we don't know about? Uh, (laughs) I'm a big fan of this. Embark is an incredible tool for dog owners. It's going to screen for 215 genetic health risks across 350 breeds. By the way, that's more breeds tested than any other DNA test for dogs. Right up top, we want to thank EmbarkVet.com for supporting our program. 
Go right now to EmbarkVet.com. Get yourself free shipping and save $65 with the promo code 83weeks. 61% of pet owners plan to adjust their dog's routine or feel more prepared to be a good pet parent after testing with Embark. It's the perfect gift, by the way, for the dog lover in your life. My mom is obsessed with her dog. She's got a golden doodle. It's basically her favorite child. And what my mom's wish is, is that that dog will live forever. Now, unfortunately, that's probably not reality. But man, if we could make some little adjustments here or there and be a little more prepared here or there, it's going to make you feel better. It's going to make mom feel better. You can unlock their breed mix. You can screen for these genetic health risks. You can discover their family tree. That's right. A dog family tree. You can even customize their care with the Embark DNA dog test. I love this. Embark has a limited time offer on their breed and health kit and their purebred kit for 83 weeks listeners. So go to EmbarkVet.com to get free shipping and save 65 bucks with the promo code 83 weeks. One more time, visit EmbarkVet.com and use the promo code 83weeks to save $65 today. Eric, I know you've done this for Nikki. Uh, I feel like almost every time you post on social, it's about your dog. Embark is the real deal, is it not? It is, and my vet now has a copy of all of the test results um, that I received when I did the Embark DNA test. And that's important. You know, you know people... Even if you don't have a purebred dog, you could have a dog that's a Heinz 57 mix, if you will. But if, for example, you know, bigger dogs, and, and I'm not a vet, I'm not giving any veterinary advice here. I'm just sharing my experience with you. I spent early part of my teen years uh, working in an animal hospital. And unfortunately, one of my jobs um amongst you know cleaning kennels and all the other things and feeding cats and dogs and monkeys someday i'm going to tell you my monkey story oh my god but one of the things that i did in addition to all that stuff unfortunately is i would have to bring dogs who were set to be euthanized i would have to be the one that would go and get them from the back and bring them to the to the room with the vet and be there and hold on to them and go through that experience and many of those dogs were larger breed dogs that had hip dysplasia. Mm. And hip dysplasia is fairly common, like in German Shepherds, for example, or St. Bernard's. You know, the bigger the dog, the more likely hip dysplasia is a factor as they get to be about six or eight years old. Well, if you've got a Heinz 57 or a mixed breed and you want to know if that dog is prone to hip dysplasia because if it is, there's certain things you could do when the dog's younger to avoid an issue later on. You know, there's, there's product now, and I give Nikki certain product. It's called Dasequin. I get it from my vet. It's for hips and joints because blue healers, for example, typically as a breed have issues if they're what is essentially the dog's version of a kneecap. Right, because there's such big, powerful dogs, and they're always active, and they're shifting. Think of it as a running back, you know. You know, g- generally, you know, knees become an issue at a certain point. Same thing for dogs. So if you've got a dog and you're not sure about the breed, or even if you are, find out what kind of conditions that your dog may be vulnerable to, 
two, three, four, five years from now because you can do something about it now. You can keep the weight off your dog now so that three, four, five years from now, hip dysplasia is not as big of a deal or big of an issue. So it's really important stuff. And I think taking your, the results and sending them off to your vet so that your vet has a record of these types of issues with your breed or in this case, your particular dog is only valuable information when the time comes for treatment. Wow, I spent way too much time talking about that. No, you didn't. But I'm passionate. I am passionate about it. So I, I hope people think about it and look into Embark because if you really do care for your dog, like I know your mom does and I do and you do and everybody is, you want to take care of your dog. You know, it's a part of the family. It's a companion. Embark's a good way to do it. Embarkvet.com. Use that promo code 83 weeks. Save yourself 65 bucks and get free shipping. That's uh, Embarkvet.com. And use that promo code 83 weeks. So listen, the bound for glory series is going to dominate TV for the next few months. Uh, we've spent a little time talking about this before on the show, but what's your take on tournaments on television and wrestling? The bound for glory series was really, I don't want to take credit for things. I, I, I shouldn't take credit for it, but I'm kind of thinking that the bound for glory series was really my idea. I wanted our version of what, what's the, uh, I think it's in November, uh, WWE's uh, pay-per-view. Survivor, Survivor Series? Series? Yeah, Survivor yeah. Series. I wanted a tournament that would build towards Bound for Glory. I wanted matches, I, and, and it wasn't just a tournament. And that's the thing that I think separates. If you really go back and analyze TNA, and go back and watch some of the Bound for Glory series matches. They were every bit as story-driven as just about anything else. And the stakes was Bound for Glory. Everybody was working hard to get to that opportunity. And stories were born out of the tournament. It wasn't just a tournament. And Matt Conway, I've talked about Matt Conway a few times. He's a name that doesn't get mentioned much with regard to TNA, but he should, because he's a really talented young man, like really, really, really talented. Not so much as the guy who's going to come up with the aha moment, the idea, the big idea. He wasn't a big idea guy, but Matt could take a big idea and break it down into a little pieces and then string those little pieces together in a way that built an arc. Right. And, and I love that about Matt. Um, I had never worked with anybody better than Matt at that anywhere to this day. He was really good. And spent a lot of time making sure that the continuity, the points, the standings, and all that made sense. And a lot of people have had, have attempted that and done a piss poor job of it, which is why it's never really caught on. But Matt did a great job. Go back and watch it. You know, and it, it doesn't get a, a lot of praise. It doesn't get a lot of attention, but, but as far as structural storytelling goes, the Bonford glory series was pretty interesting. And I think Matt and, and everybody involved in it did a great job. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We also know that uh, this is the era where we would see aces and eights begin. We did a, a whole episode on that. It's available now in the archives. We had Bully Ray uh, jump on with us. So that was a really fun episode if you'd like to check that out. We've also talked about your son Garrett getting into wrestling in the past. And we talked about uh, the big move to have Jeff Hardy become the champ. And let's remind everybody that not too long before this, Jeff Hardy was the biggest star in all of wrestling over on the WWE side of things. And now we've got him, even if there's going to be some challenges, uh, we should touch on Hulk Hogan as an on-air character here as the GM role. what do you think of Hulk Hogan as a GM? I mean, Foley has said before that, you know, when he was over on his podcast, Foley is pod, whenever he was a part of TNA, the, we went from essentially one non wrestling speaking role on the show. And then overnight we had Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff. So now he was number four of a non wrestling role speaking part. Do you think TNA was ever going to get their full value out of Hulk Hogan? If he was quote unquote, just a GM in hindsight, they could have, you know, um, but it, they didn't. The, well, and, and it wasn't just TNA's fault either. You know, I want to be, oh, I do. Well, I have certain frustrations and, you know, um, still have to try to be fair. And Hulk was hurting. Hulk, it was hard for Hulk to do certain things. And sometimes certain things may have seemed like it would have been no big deal for others. Um, I think. Had Hulk been more physically capable and yes. just able to travel more, do more, go to more meetings, kind of be the facing part of TNA along with Dixie, I think TNA would have gotten a lot more benefit from Hulk Hogan. But unfortunately, Hulk was at a period of time where just jumping on a plane was a real challenge for him, was beginning to become a real challenge for him. Um, even driving from Tampa to Orlando to tape was a challenge for him. And as a result, I don't think they got quite the benefit out of Hulk Hogan that I did in WCW, for example, when we could take Hulk Hogan meetings for NAPTI, syndication pattern, or if there was a licensing and merchandising convention, we could take Hulk Hogan and he could front WCW and be that guy that can attract the attention of people that would otherwise not be attracted to the WCW brand. TNA didn't have that advantage with Hulk because Hulk was too limited in terms of what he could physically do. So I, I don't think they got the, the benefit of Hulk the way they probably could have a couple of years earlier. Yeah. To be and clear, I, I wasn't saying, I wasn't trying to be critical that boy, TNA didn't know what to do with Hulk Hogan. I just don't know that in hindsight, it maybe was the best fit because it does feel like people want to see Hulk Hogan in action, but Hulk Hogan as a GM. And listen, I'm only here talking to you now because I was a little Hulkamaniac. Mm -hmm. The Hulk as a GM is just, eh. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is true. And I think from what I remember, um, and I, you know, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. 
you know, Hulk's intention was to get better and wrestle. Hulk wanted to get back in the ring. And I'm going to see Hulk over the Christmas holidays. Um, we're going to go out and have dinner together, I think. And uh, I can assure you at some point in that conversation that I'm going to have in a week and a half or two weeks, I'm going to hear something to the effect of, effect of, man, I wish I could get back in the ring one more time. Yeah. You know, that's always, Hulk's always wanted to get back in the ring. And he certainly did in TNA. And he, he actually believed that he could get rehabbed and, and, and get put back together at least enough to get through a match or two. He wanted to work with Bully. You know, during the whole Aces and Eights thing, he wanted desperately to work with Bully, especially when the story involved his daughter, Brooke. He just couldn't do it. And and obviously TNA didn't benefit as much as they could have as a result. Well, let's talk about, uh, I hate to even get there, but we're going to have to get there. Missed payments. This has become... A legendary piece of TNA's unfortunate history, and we highlighted it in a big way in the early years of something to wrestle, where talent would start wrestling and slower and slower the payments would come in. And sometimes, as Bruce said famously, they would send even empty FedEx envelopes. So they're behind. All right, we're going to catch it up. We're going to overnight you a FedEx. We finally have some resolution. They open the FedEx and it's empty. Yeah, Conrad, it's hard for me to uh, to talk in detail about that period of time when it comes to you know guys not getting paid on time, all that. Bruce clearly was in the middle of it. He was uh, head of talent relations. That was his title. I mean, maybe he was a vice president too. I don't even know, but it was Bruce's job to be the liaison between talent and the office, which in Bruce's case amounted to making excuses for the office because people weren't getting paid. Right. And you know, look, your check comes a couple days late or a week late. It's not a big deal, right? It's you can blame it on the mail, whatever, maybe a holiday or something that got in the way, no big deal. But when you're two, three, four weeks later and you finally get your check and you've been given the runaround, and again, Bruce can speak specifically to it. I can't because I wasn't involved in that process. I just heard about it from other people. Um, but when it's been two, three, four weeks and the check finally shows up and <laughs> you get an envelope and it's empty, yeah. um, it, it, it starts turning bad very, very quickly, which was another reason why I just couldn't understand why management did not want to partner up with Viacom. Like, if you don't want to fund it, I get that. There's probably a lot of reasons why they didn't want to fund it anymore. Might have been some reasons why they couldn't fund it anymore. No problem. Find somebody who will. Partner up with the right people. Strategic partnerships make businesses work. Find one. But instead, there was like, nah, we're not going to do that. In the meantime, we're not paying people either. So it was was a very frustrating period of time. And thank you to today's sponsor, Fansly. Fansly has the adult content you crave by creators you already know and plenty that you don't. What's your taste? Vanilla? Not vanilla. Maybe a weird combination? Cool with us. Fansly has a whole algorithm dedicated to finding new content and creators you're into. Fansly allows you to discover and support a huge number of creators. Feet picks, water sports, whatever you're into, Fansly is too. 
with a broad array of vanilla to kinky content and hundreds of thousands of creators. Fansly has the content you didn't even know you wanted. Don't know what you're into? Well, don't worry. Fansly can figure it out with their discoverability algorithm. Think TikTok, but, you know, different. Looking for something safe for work? Well, Fansly has content for every time of day, but they don't know your schedule. Want to get started as a content creator yourself? Well, Fansly makes it easy to start your very own small business from the comfort of your bedroom or wherever the content takes you. The Fansly team is dedicated to supporting your journey. They're here to make you money, helping you grow your community, takedowns of leaked content and everything else. And they're going to help you every step of the way. Fansly is dedicated to providing a safe and reliable platform for content creators of all type, because guys, sex work is real work. Listen up folks. We know what this ad's about. And if you don't, well, you're in for a long night. I threw it in my Google machine and boy, howdy. Hey, and y'all listen up. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Go to fansly.com slash promo slash 83 weeks for a free extended trial subscription to one of your favorite content creators. Just use the code 83 weeks at checkout all the content on fansly.com. Who knows what you'll find feed picks, your neighbor, Jenna feed picks from your neighbor, Jenna. Again, that's fansly.com slash promo slash 83 weeks. And the promo code is 83 weeks. Thanks Fansly. Well, let's talk about another pretty frustrating period of time for folks who were inside the castle, as we like to say. John Gaborik, AKA big is going to come over from the WWE. And you originally wrote in your book, grateful that you thought it was a good move, but now in hindsight, how quickly did it appear to you that, Hey, maybe big's not here to help big's here to take over. It was a matter of weeks or maybe a month or two. Um, and you know, let me preface, I had worked with John Gaborik, uh, in WWE, I first met him in WWE, WWE when I was a talent there. Really, really liked John, respected John. John had a very big role on the uh, WWE reality series, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it anymore. Tough enough. Um, tough enough. You know, John was involved in that. And <clears throat> when I had heard that Dixie was talking to Big, it was presented to me as Big was going to, oversee all of television production, which made sense because, you know, big was, it still is very involved working under Kevin Dunn in television production. Um, so it made perfectly good sense to me because I mean, there were, you know, uh, Kevin Sullivan, not the wrestler, the producer was there. Um, David Sahadi was the director, but it, the product could have, it, it it could have been better. And yeah. John was the guy that could take it to the next level. It wasn't a talent issue. Kevin Sullivan was great. David Sahadi was great, but we needed more support in organization and television to, to make a better product. So when Dixie was talking about John coming in, I was like, I was all for it. And I was, I was one of his biggest fans and John and I had a conversation prior to him coming in. John called me and said, Hey, I just want you to know I'm just coming in to help. And I want to, really see what I could do with the television side of things. I was like, can't wait for you to get here, brother. And, and, and when John first got there for the first few weeks, it was that kind of vibe, but it became obvious pretty quickly that John was interested in more 
and and by the way, I didn't hold that against him at the right. time. It wasn't like I was holding on to anything. My, my deal was my deal. I didn't give a shit if they brought in Paul Heyman, if they brought in John Gaburik, if they brought in Stephanie McMahon. None of it mattered to me because it wouldn't have affected my life. I would just was working with some other people. And in many cases, I would look forward to that because I wanted to work with people who had skill sets and talents or better than me at what I was doing. I had no problem with that. Um, but, it be, but it became obvious. And then I'll never forget. Now, again, you, you have to remember all this stuff is going on at the same time. Bruce is there. He's dealing with all that sugar and nonsense. Um, what was that word? I'm from Alabama. I don't understand that one. Sugar. I'm going to have to spell that. Yiddish, uh, Yiddish for uh, crazy. Um, yeah. And, and now big's coming in and, and, and establishing himself in his role. And I'll never forget. I, I didn't, you know, I've talked, I talked about it in the book, you know, I, I didn't interact with Panda at all. I intentionally tried to avoid it and made it clear, even in my contract, that I was not an employee. I was a cons- basically a consultant and an executive producer for a television show and occasionally would show up as talent, right? I didn't want to be involved in any of the business issues. I didn't want to discuss business issues, I'll come up with ideas creatively in ways that I think can help. And you do whatever you want to do. That was my relationship contractually and otherwise. But I remember at one point somebody said, it must've been Dixie said, Hey, I want you and big to go to Dallas. Biggest John Gaburik's nickname. Yes. We want you and big to go down and meet with my mother in Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking. Huh? What? You know, and I, I had I had refused to do it before. You know, Dixie had tried to get me on a conference call with their mother. You know, probably a year or two before that, and I said, Dixie, I'm not doing that. Now you're now you're sucking me into a role or part of a conversation that I don't even really want to have. But now I'm being asked to to go to this meeting with Big, and I and I did because I wanted to be a team player. I didn't want to be a dick. Um, so I thought, okay, let's just, we'll see how this goes. And it was actually a kind of a fun meeting. And I actually kind of dug Janice, you know, I mean, her personality, she's a very, she was to, at least to me, a very confident, outwardly going, you know, she wasn't shy. And I appreciated that about her. Did you make out with her? No, I didn't. I didn't. Did you think about she it? wasn't the CEO? She would have been a CEO and I probably had to swap some spit, but she wasn't. So I didn't. I just think that that should be your move. Like your move. And well, you've got to keep consistency in your character is an important part of a character. It is. I made out with Linda McMahon. Yes. Who was a WWE Stephanie. CEO. I made out with Stephanie McMahon, who is now a CEO. Had Janice been officially the CEO, who knows what could have happened, but it mm. didn't. Got it. Instead I get, I'm, I'm, I'm at the end of this meeting, everything's going great. You no, know? everything's kind of upbeat, positive. And I find out at the very end of the meeting that the reason that I was called there is because there was a desire to restructure TNA and they wanted me to report to Gaburik, which would have been number one, a change in, in my contract because it's not the way my contract was set up. And number two, I just thought, "Mm, no, not that I didn't like John, but no. And we got out of that meeting 
And I remember we, we, we got out and we were getting ready to jump in our car to take us to the airport. And big looks at me and he goes, Eric, this is going to be great. Right. I mean, it'd be you and me, be you, you know, he knew that Janice wanted me to report to him. And yeah. John was like, this is going to be awesome. I said, John, it really won't. Cause it's not going to happen. Not doing it. Now just think about it. Okay. I'll think about it. And then I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to, I'm just not doing that. I'm not changing my relationship with the company because the company wants to restructure. And I don't want to report to you. Um, it's just not my thing. It's not what I came here for. And that, that was pretty much the end of it. And shortly thereafter, I was on my way out. Well, man, that's, uh, I don't think we've ever heard that story that way before. No, because we've never really, you know, spent the time to get into the weeds and discuss that relationship with big. We've touched on it, but we've never gone into the detail, but that was the detail. And, and I was gone probably, I don't know, month or two after that. Well, before we get, before we get to that, when you say, no, it's really not going to be great because I'm not going to do it. What's his response? What does he say? I think he was frustrated. You know, I think he was disappointed. And you know what? I've since, you know, John and I, John and I are good. You know, I I saw John about a year ago. Um, This month, I was actually, I showed up at a Monday Night Raw and I was officiating a a wedding with Miz and Marcy, I think. Maurice, yeah. A bunch of stuff dumped all over me. And uh, I saw John backstage and good friends. Nothing but respect for John. No hard feelings whatsoever on my part or his. We're, we're good. But it just was something I wasn't willing to do at the time. I, I Man, I don't mean for this to sound the way it does, but I just can't help but ask, why not? Why not just give it a try? Was it a, it was, and I, I'm, I'm asking this from a good place or I'm trying to, and I just don't have maybe the words. Was it just ego? I'm not reporting to that guy. No, no, it's not that. Cause I've never cared about shit like that. Before. I didn't think so. That's not you that I know. So it was weird. No, no, I don't mind reporting to other people. I don't need to be in a, I don't need to be the guy. You need to be the boss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need that. In fact, I don't want that. <laughs> that um, sounds right. Yeah. That's Eric. Yeah, like I never want to be in that position again. Right. I like to contribute. I like to be a part of a team. But in, in this particular case, because of my frustration with TNA at this point, and again, it's, you know, paying people on time, not telling people the truth, you know, and I understand not being able to pay your bills. I understand not being able to pay your payroll. I get that. I've been in that position before. It's not, you know, I don't think it's anything to be, you you don't want to be in that position, No. but it doesn't necessarily you know, mean you're a bad person either. And sometimes shit happens, even in really big companies and big successful companies. Yeah. Sometimes things happen, but it's really important when those things happen that you're completely honest about it and you're not lying to people and telling people, oh, the check's in the mail. When you know damn well the check's not in the mail because that person on the other end of the phone that's being told the checks in the mail is making decisions based on something that they believe, which isn't true. And that puts people in a bad position. That's a, that causes me a lack of respect. And if there's anything you've probably figured out about me by now is that loyalty is very important to me. It's high on my list of shit and lack of respect is 
it's almost a death nail for me. You know, once you lose respect for somebody, for me, once I lose respect for someone, it's not impossible to get it back, but it's kind of hard. Yeah. And I was in the middle of watching people being manipulated, lied to. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm being asked now to become part of a, a, a formal structure that I made clear going in. I didn't want to be a part of. And there was less reason for me to even consider it at that point than there was in the beginning. In the beginning, I made it clear I didn't want to be involved in the business part of it. The, the language was in my contract um, specifically. And I asked for it. Um, now I'm being asked to become part of a formal organizational structure with a company that was not being honest with a lot of people and didn't seem to have a plan and didn't appear to be too interested in funding TNA. So why do I want to be a part of that? I I, I don't need to do that. Well, here's something that we all need, and that's to be honest with ourselves. Uh, that makes me want to remind you that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Now, unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual. And when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. I felt that way back in 2006. I had a, a long relationship come to an end, and I wasn't really sure how to sort things out in my mind. I needed to talk to somebody. But I didn't want to talk to my friends or family or somebody I knew. I needed to talk to a, a third party and just navigate through that process in my own mind. And maybe in this era, what we're talking about, that could have been helpful for a lot of folks. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and to learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy like the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. It's convenient, it's secure, it's accessible anywhere, and it's 100% online. Now, I, as I mentioned, I started therapy in 2006. This wasn't an option for me. I had to call around. I had to make appointments. I had to drive across the county. I had to wait in the lobby. It was, it was a much different process. This is so much simpler, and I imagine... If you struggle with anxiety, and I think a lot of us do, man, just getting there and walking in the door and waiting in the lobby and filling out the paperwork, that's anxiety. This is easy by comparison. Everyone deserves to feel their best. BetterHelp makes it easier to get started. As the world's largest therapy service, they've matched millions of people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists that are available 100% online. Let me explain. You get all the benefits of in-person therapy, but it's more convenient. It's more accessible and it's more affordable. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist. Anytime it truly couldn't be simpler. There's no waiting rooms. There's no traffic. There's no endless searching for the right therapist. So get unstuck with better help. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. That's better H-E-L-P.com slash 83 weeks. Betterhelp.com slash 83 weeks. Eric, this is an important sponsor, especially this time of year. I know lots of folks sort of get down around the holidays. They think about the lost ones in their life, their old loved ones that are no longer here. And it can be depressing. I know my mom sort of suffers with that. 
we got to cheer her up and work on it. But if you don't have that support system or you need someone outside of your circle, better help is a great option. Is it not Eric? It is. And you know, um, Mrs. B does her best to try to tr- try to help people whenever they need help. And, and I think we all do. It's our nature, right? most of us at least to if you've got a friend or a family member that needs some help but sometimes you hit it right on the head sometimes you need to go outside of your your family circle or your friend circle to to really be able to open up yes and trust because it's hard to be really honest with yourself with someone that you're close to because some of it's sometimes it's embarrassing sometimes you're hesitant to to really share things you really need to share in order for somebody else to help you. Yes. And if it means going outside your circle of family and friends, then you need to do that. And this is a time of year. I think where people are even more susceptible to a sense of melancholy that in some people can lead to depression. It's just human nature. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's part of life. It's everybody is that all of us at some point in time, we have to go through that stuff. And you may feel like it's only you and you're embarrassed, but it's not, man. And if you need to go outside your circle, better helps the right way to go. Check it out right now. Better help. H E L P better com slash 83 weeks. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. And by the way, before we continue here, because I moved over to the comments, I just want to shout out. We've got so many great people here that are part of the show. You know, Bobby Kilo Foxtrot, uh, looks like five, Golf Tango X-Ray. Good to see you here, man. Zoe Lopez, Amy Vaughn, Eddie Prather. Eddie, good to see you here. All you guys, man. Josh, especially if I didn't mention you already. Josh Rosenblum, super guy. Great guy. Great family here at Ed Free Shows. And by the way, I don't know if you had a chance to listen talking about after shows, but you know, strictly business this week that I do with John Alba drops on Thursdays. If you subscribe here to 83, if you haven't already subscribed, you should do so right now because you'll not only find out when 83 weeks drops, obviously, but you're going to get notified when strictly business with myself and John Alba drops. And we typically drop on Thursdays, but this week we did a show with a, with a man by the name of Isaac Riston. Isaac Riston is a nine-time Grammy-nominated musician. I think he's won a Grammy Award. He's up for a Grammy this year. Super guy. And i he's been a member of Ad Free Shows for a long time. And as I often do, I usually call like 10 people. You know, I, give, I have a list of 10 names that I'll call at random over a given week or two-week period of time. And I happen to call Isaac. There he is. He's listening. Happy Saturday, Isaac. But Isaac, we, we got into a great conversation about uh, Jim Johnston's music. Yes. What Isaac, as a professional musician and Grammy-nominated, Grammy Award winner, all that, what he thinks makes great wrestling music. 
Um, we talk about some of Jim Johnson's iconic hits and why WWE hits and why Isaac believes that they were as good as they were. We talk a lot about the parallels between professional wrestling and the music industry. So check that out at Strictly Business. But again, you can get that for free just by subscribing to 83 Weeks. But really, really cool that a part of the Ad Free Show's family becomes a part of the show. And I, I dig that a lot. I love it too. And, uh, it's nice to, uh, get out to get to see everybody hanging out and, uh, and chatting in the comments, uh, shout out to Eddie and Keith and Josh and Adam and Allison. And we got, we got a great crew here, Amy. I mean, on and on and on appreciate everybody getting up early with us on a Saturday morning and being a part of what we're doing. And we're all trying to learn and get better. Look, take a look at me trying to learn some new things. Mush you gonna mush you gonna. Mushugana. Mushugana. No, it's not Mushugana. That sounds like it sounds like something else altogether. It sounds like a different language. It's Mushugana. That's what I mean. You think this guy's making it up? Is he wrong? In this video, I will show how pronounce this word. The pronunciation of this word is sounds like Meshagana. Meshagana. Meshagana sounds like a city in Michigan. Man, this is gonna be tough. I, I I got to learn some more Yiddish. Yiddish uh, is cool. I learned all my Yiddish from the Hervey family. I was, I, 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 I actually got adopted into the tribe at one point. Like when I learned how to make Passover brisket, I had Jason's parents over. Actually, it was kind of weird because obviously, you know, my wife and I, are, maybe it's not obvious, but my wife and I are not Jewish. Um, my family's not Jewish. We're, we're Christians, but my business partner, Jason was Jewish and we became very close and I became very close to his family. His mom and dad were like, I'd stop and visit his mom and dad whenever. And I was in LA, even if Jason wasn't home, I'd hang out with him and, and, and watch Westerns with Jason's dad. Cause he loved Westerns. But when uh, Jason lived in Arizona um, and I lived in a little town called cave Creek, just North of Scottsdale and Jason and his wife bought a house not far from us. And one Christmas, um, Jason's mom and dad came to Arizona to visit, and I had them over to my house. I thought, well, if I'm going to have Jason's family over to my house for dinner, I'm going to cook something that they would look, because it was Hanukkah for them, right? So I thought I went to Emerald's Essence Recipes, and I found a recipe for a Passover brisket. So Christmas dinner was a Passover brisket. And I made latkes. I mean, I went to hold, I went deep, right? I went very, very deep. I made my latkes from scratch, right? Spent a lot of time doing it. And I'll never forget, Jason's mom and dad walked into the house. It's Arizona, so it's, you know, warm out, Christmas, warm, nice. They walk into the house, and the house smelled so much like this Passover brisket that Jason's dad actually got tears in his eyes because it, remind, <laughs> it reminded him of when he was a child because his dad, Jason's dad grew up in the Bronx and, you know, Passover brisket was a big deal. And uh, he actually started to cry a little bit because it reminded him of, of his childhood. And that was a big compliment for me. And the Passover brisket is now something that we do every single Christmas. When I go to Tampa, Lori and I go to Tampa to be with Garrett and MJ and Waylon, our grandson. I'm going to make Passover brisket. That's our new tradition. Of all the things, or it has not new. Would... It's been our tradition now for 15 years. 
Okay. I learned a lot about past. It has nothing to do with wrestling. I know. And this all started out with the failed attempt at pronouncing Michigan. Well, I got to learn. Uh, and, and apparently a lot of people in TNA learned there's tons of issues going on here. According to the observer, let's take a little passage here. Tons of issues going on regarding money stemming from the decision to tape impact on the road at the cost of $600,000 per taping with no increase in ratings or revenue. A lot of things are breaking at press time, but this is what we know. It's the cost of the tapings that have made the financial situation so bad. Dixie Carter has noted before that she had done it earlier. She would have been risking the future of the company. Many in the company, notably Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff has pushed for getting out of universal studios and taping on the road as the needed game changer, but there's been no increase in revenue to offset the expense and ratings have actually declined. There were reports that of press time, particularly the higher contracts are being asked to change their deals. ProWrestling.net reported Bruce Pritchard, the head of talent relations, and also the head of creative was asked to restructure his deal and could be leaving. And that D'Lo Brown was gone as well. Brown was the road agent for almost all the house shows. The report was that Brown was asked to to be changed from going from a weekly salary to a per event deal, which he agreed to, but was then told he's being let go. The Pritchard story appears to be accurate. Based on what we were told, Pritchard was asked to restructure his contract, but he had not made a decision one way or the other about it. So he's more up in the air right now, more so than gone. Although things are changing by the hour. When did you first realize, Hey man, the shit's hit the fan. Was it that trip to Dallas with big, or did you have an inclination beforehand that there were problems? Maybe it just wasn't going to affect you. Oh no, 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 no. There was the handwriting was on the wall for weeks or months. It wasn't like all of a sudden one day you showed up and everything's changed. You know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll take issue with. And, and maybe I won't. I, I, w- I won't take issue with Dave's reporting on this because he may have been told that uh, that the reason that people weren't getting paid is because we took the show on the road. That would be typical. That would have been typical of a small-minded mentality that I often ran into. Um, it had nothing to do with it. It it had everything to do with. Lack of vision, short, short-sighted planning, and a failure to commit to the business to grow your own business. That's that's why, you know. Coincidentally, yeah, we took the show on the road, and yes, it was expensive. And only an idiot like Dave would assume that you're immediately going to see a return on that investment. I talked about that early when we first started discussing this. What the strategy needed to be. That's a two or three-year plan. You may not make money initially. You may not get a return on that investment because you've just spent four or five years convincing the audience that your product has no real credibility, regardless of who you bring in and put in the ring. You've conditioned the audience to look at your brand as a secondary, if that, brand in the wrestling business. And just because you take the show on the road for three weeks in a row isn't going to change that overnight. And only a moron, only a moron, or somebody that's never been in the television business like Dave would, would make that assumption. Um, but the handwriting to answer your question had been on the wall for weeks and months. So it, it, it nothing surprised me at that point. In hindsight, 
with the benefit of hindsight, cause boy in hindsight, we're all geniuses. Do you think it was going on the road that ultimately led to you leaving TNA? No, no, I think, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. You know, there, there's a lot of finger pointing that goes on when you work in an environment where nobody knows what they're really doing yeah, and nobody's willing to take responsibility for what they don't know. So you get all kinds of finger pointing. And there was a bunch of people in TNA management that couldn't have hit their ass with both hands and a GPS, right? They just didn't know. They're wrestling fans, but they didn't know anything about the wrestling business. You know, there's so many of them. And, and I, I, in my opinion, TNA was a vanity project. Well, it was, yeah. That's what it was. And you can only fund a vanity, vanity project for so long. And when you've got a lot of people who think they know about a business that they're in and they realize that they don't, the first thing that starts happening is finger pointing. So it could have easily been, you know, reported to Dave or anybody else. Oh, if it wasn't for Eric and Hulk, if we wouldn't have gone, you know, on the road, we would have gotten paid. It's just, it's so much bullshit. Let me ask this. You, you said earlier in the program, or you drew parallels and a lot of people are doing this these days between AEW and TNA. Mm-hmm. And you just said you felt like TNA for lack of a better word was a vanity project. Do you think AEW is? Oh, I don't, I'm asking, do you consider that to be a similarity as well? Perhaps, you know, I don't know. I I, I don't know. So I'm reluctant to say, I mean, there, there are indications that makes me believe that that's true, but I'm not there. Right. I'm not behind the scenes. I'm not privy to discussions or strategies or long-term goal planning. And there may be plenty of that going on, which would, suggests that it's not a vanity project. Um, I, I think, you know, the, the obvious things that make me think it is, is some of the things that Tony has come out and said, you know, I, and he's proud of it and he should be, by the way, it's not a bad thing, you know, but I, I think Tony is to a degree living a childhood dream and there's nothing wrong with that. If you have the ability to do it, provided that you're looking beyond just your own satisfaction of being in a business that you've always been a fan of since you were a little kid. That's great. If, as long as you bring with you in that enthusiasm and passion plans, strategies, and you're surrounded by people who are smarter than you and more experienced than you that can help you get there. And of course you listen (laughs) that, you know, that's when, if it is a vanity project, you know, you're going to run into problems because you're not taking advantage of the people that you've, you've, I mean, Tony's already surrounded by some really, really smart people with a lot of experience. I don't think he needs to be surrounded by any more smart people. He just needs to listen to the ones that are there. And if it's truly a business and not a vanity project, that'll happen. But if it's a vanity project, then you're going to be the one calling all the shots and it's all on you. And if it succeeds, it succeeds. And if it doesn't, it's because... You didn't run it like a business. You ran it like a vanity project, but I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's a case with Tony. It was the case in my opinion with TNA. And there are some parallels there. The fact that we keep bringing in all this WWE talent and it's not moving the needle. It's kind of obvious. 
but it's too early to tell. Let's let's see. We'll see. Well, we will also see uh, some more news in the Observer about the latest what Meltzer calls spin. I know that Bruce probably felt this way. Let's do it. TNA tried to spin the story that they want all the major executives and the key decision makers to live in Nashville where the corporate offices are. And Bruce Pritchard wasn't going to move. Dave would continue. Let me know when Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff moved to Nashville. It's just a way to publicly cover that they're going through major cost cutting before the TV tapings on July 18th. There was a meeting with all the talent and the entire office staff was there. Most of whom don't ever come to TV tapings or shows. It was the first time almost any of the talent had seen Jeff Jarrett in a long time. Dixie Carter ran the meeting and tried to put a positive spin on everything, saying the cuts were decisions that had to be made for the improvement of the company and product. She tried to explain the late pay by talking about certain things that had happened that wouldn't happen again. And that it's all been taken care of lots to unpack here. Of course, uh, Bruce doesn't talk about this a lot, uh, but it's out there. So I feel like we can at least mention it. Bruce's wife, Stephanie had been struggling with cancer a long time and some of the best medical care in the, in, in the country happens in Houston, especially when it comes to cancer. And that's where she was. So there's no chance Bruce was going to leave Houston while his wife is in the midst of that battle and come to Nashville. Even if Vanderbilt and other opportunities exist, there's a relationship there. He prioritized family over it. As a result, he's going to be shown the door. Do you remember this, this cover story? Cause that's what it kind of feels like. Oh, well, you got to move here. If you're not willing to move here, you're all right. Y'all just don't have the money. It's things are tough. We've made some poor decisions. That's more accurate. And then we try to put a strong face forward here and Dixie holds the meeting. Do you remember this meeting? Yeah, I do. And there, there was a couple of meetings that I remember. One is they had this little attorney. He's just a dweeb, just a dweeb. And he came now imagine this. You call a meeting with a bunch of talent many of whom have been getting a run around when it comes to their pay for weeks or months. And the, the, the anxiety and the stress and the anger that that creates morale, single word morale. And you have this little jag off attorney show up that comes in and immediately starts putting himself over and talking about how smart he is and how good he is at suing people. Who's the jack off attorney name names. I'm not going to name him. I'm going to name his name. Okay. He knows who he is. Okay. And I remember sitting there and I, you know, I showed up at this meeting and I, and Garrett was there at the time and he was sitting over on the other side of the group. I was, I was late. I wasn't even part of the group. I was there, but I was separate from the group because I wasn't talent. I didn't want to sit with talent. Right. Um, and I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this attorney putting himself over and basically threatening anybody that spoke out about some of the things that were going on if they spoke up publicly and, and making sure they all knew that if that was the case, he was going to sue them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just insane. This is insane. And I remember looking over at Garrett and he looked at me as this little dweeb was pounding his chest and trying to make him sound like a tough, scary guy. 
because he was an attorney. I hate when people do that. It's just, want to get me hot right away? <laughs> Have a little dweeb attorney start talk, start threatening me. I just, Ugh. Anyway, I looked over at Garrett, and his eyes are just rolling in the back of his head. And I look over, and I see a couple other guys that I had a relationship with, and they're just, they're just I can't describe the feeling. It was the worst thing in the world to do. And then to have Dixie come in and try to spin it. It's just, it was mind boggling, you know, and it's unfortunate for Dixie because Dixie really is, was probably still is a very positive person. She just is, you know, and you, you, you could criticize her for spinning, but she's trying, she was trying to find a way, you know, she, Dixie really was stuck between a rock and a hard place. There was her desire and and she did want to make TNA successful. I do to believe that, but she only had so much control. She was only so much that she could do. And I felt bad for Dixie actually, because Dixie was one of those people that wanted to be liked by everybody. It, she it was important to Dixie, and Dixie had a big heart. She, you know, she was a very likable person, but she was in a situation that was just it was a horrible spot for her. And she did try to spin it. That's her nature. Meltzer would continue. She denied there were any significant financial issues claiming they fell behind on pay because they taped so many one night only pay-per-view shows in a short period of time in Orlando, a few months back. Others in the company say it's the expense of taping on the road every two weeks and that more cuts will be coming. The former story comes across better because it's something that was done and temporary. However, the entire idea of all those tapings over a few days with the idea, it was greatly saving money by not doing live pay-per-views and with so many working multiple shows in a short period of time, it would save on transportation for those outside of Orlando. Do you think anybody bought this? I mean, no. Okay. No, no nobody that I talked to and, and looking around the room at that meeting that I described, I don't think one person in that room, bought one syllable of anything that was shoveled to them. The, uh, the next report is creative is now in the hands of Eric Bischoff. Who's going to be the guy in charge along with Dave Lagana and Matt Conway as the writers quote, the feeling is the direction isn't going to be changing much from what was happening with Bruce Pritchard out of the mix. Is this accurate? You become the head of creative. What does that look or feel like? Temporarily. Bruce had an issue, not my business to discuss it. Bruce does. That's his business, not mine. And I remember hearing about it from Stephanie. If my timeline is right here, Stephanie being Bruce's wife. And I told Stephanie not to worry about it. She had nothing to worry about, and I would take care of it for her. And part of that, or not take care of it for her, but I would do what I could do to help the situation. He had a heart attack, so right? I, I mean, he's talked about that. I, I stepped into Bruce's role temporarily, mm-hmm. not permanently. Right. Just to cover. Because I didn't want them to bring somebody. I didn't want them to replace Bruce at that point. It's coming. Uh, in late September, Mouser would report... There are tons of questions regarding the future of TNA as in the face of major cutbacks. There's much speculation regarding changes that need to be made. 
The biggest storyline involves the future of taping on the road, as well as the future of a number of wrestlers whose contracts are coming due, including two of the highest paid and best known stars, Hulk Hogan and sting Hogan 60 and the face of the company has his contract due on October 1st. Eric Bischoff, his major ally is the key person when it comes to creative and there would be a major psychological blow to the company. If he left to the best of your understanding, did Hulk ever miss a check? Was he ever no. slow getting paid? No, and neither did I, by the way. Okay. Did your contract because Spike, because Spike was paying us copy that. <laughs> Did, did your, as, uh, as well as Sting and Kurt Angle and some of the other high profile talent, they were not being paid. That's another, you know, it's lost in the narrative, right? But, you know, Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan bankrupt TNA because they were making so much bullshit. Spike paid it and Spike came out and said it. It was, it's public record. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but. Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. Let's, uh, let's talk about the end of Hulk Hogan here. Meltzer would write after four years, it appears the contractual relationship between Hulk Hogan and TNA wrestling is over, but given the people involved, it could also be a swerve. Hogan's contract expired on October 1st and on his last show taped on September 26th, that will air on October 3rd. They taped a segment that's supposed to be his farewell on the surface. It's crazy. The first part of the angle played on September 26th, where Dixie Carter basically blew off AJ Styles, saying she didn't need him. But when Hogan came out, she was begging him to help her out. On the second show, Hogan quits, and Dixie Carter grabs him by the ankles and is begging him to stay. And when questions were asked, and they were, about how absolutely stupid it was for the owner to act like she didn't care about Styles, who's going to headline bound for glory but did care about Hogan. It was said that Hogan's contract included creative control over everything he was involved with. This was the only exit he would do where he left on his own without endorsing anyone, without putting anyone over, nor them even ridiculing or burying him on the way out. I remember watching this at the time and thinking, boy, if this is real and he's really leaving, and we've got the owner, like a little kid wrapped around his ankle. Don't leave daddy. This is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. And then when you read the observer, it says, oh, that's Hogan's creative control, brother. Eric, have a field day. That can't be accurate. It's not accurate. Once again, Dave is completely wrong. So what did happen? Before I tell you, I want to do a, a shout out to Bobby. He wanted to know um, when Bruce Pritchard and I first started becoming friends since I brought up Bruce Pritchard's name. That would go back to uh, when I first started with WWE as a talent in 2002. We just hit it off right off the bat, and our relationship grew stronger um, during that time and, and certainly afterwards. That was my idea. That was all me. That wasn't Hulk. Oh, come Dave. on. 
That, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. That was my idea. I wanted to put heat on Dixie. I wanted her to have heat. I wanted it to create a story, and I wanted I wanted Hulk to leave strong as he could. You wanted to so fuck. I may you- hate the idea. I may hate the idea right now, to be honest with you. But at the time, Hulk was going. I didn't want any of the stink of TNA because he didn't deserve it. I didn't want it on Hulk Hogan. Oh. I wanted the stink to be where the stink needed to be and deserved to be, and it was not on Hulk. So I was willing to take the risk to put the heat on Dixie and make her look like an insane character who was hanging on to something she couldn't control because there was talk about Hulk coming back as well. Hulk was hurting. He was in, that had a lot more to do with it than Hulk liked Dixie a lot. Hulk and Dixie were close. There was no animosity there whatsoever. I think Hulk had a lot of empathy for Dixie. He really did. Um, but I wanted to make it clear that Hulk was leaving as strong as he came in as best I could. And I wanted heat on Dixie. And that was the idea I came up with had nothing to do with Hulk. So you fucked the company to protect your friend who's leaving. I didn't look at it as screwing the company. I looked at it as putting heat on Dixie. That's why I wanted to blow AJ off. I want Dixie wanted to be on camera. Dixie wanted to be the female Vince McMahon. She needed heat to do that. She wasn't a baby face. She needed heat to do that. And I wanted to try to make her heal. Well, hang on now. Vince McMahon's character, Mr. McMahon, never grabbed someone's ankle and begged them to stay. He'd get in their face and yell they were fired, make them kiss his ass. And yeah, Dixie couldn't pull that off, could she? You know, as well as Vince McMahon, that would have been a little hard to believe. But Dixie being a suck up, that character of Dixie Carter being a suck up and a manipulator, that's easy to believe. Okay. Meltzer would write Bischoff is still under contract with the company through early 2014 with so many cuts being made and wrestlers complaining about pay being behind. Lots of questions are being asked, making owner Dixie Carter into the lead heel is the classic pro wrestling con. The idea that if the owner is put on television and starts getting people to see them as a TV star, they aren't going to pull the plug. One would think this is a swerve and that Hogan would return and bound for glory. Of course, we know that doesn't happen. Um, I just can't believe that this was your idea. So we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, why I've come up with some really shitty ideas in the past. Why is it so hard to believe this was, this one's mine. I want to use the high to it. That's all I, I could argue. I just, this feels like it might be one of the worst ideas of all time. In wrestling. Oh, no, believe me. I've come up with worse ideas and so have other people. Katie Vick. I, I, I want everybody to use <laughs> the hashtag hashtag 83 worst ideas. Hashtag 83 worst ideas. Why are you doing that to me? Why are you doing that to me? You know, I, you're going to start shit. I want you to tell us what do you think were the worst ideas in wrestling? I've got to put Dixie Carter holding on to Hulk Hogan's ankles as one of the worst ideas in history. So join us in the online conversation. Use that hashtag. What is one of your 83 worst ideas? Hashtag 83 worst ideas. Now, wait a minute. I just want to make sure this is hashtag 83 worst ideas. These are not necessarily my worst ideas. Just the worst in wrestling. 
Just the worst in wrestling. Okay, hashtag 83 worst ideas, Katie Vick. Well, yeah, okay, that's up there. All right, I'll give you that. Katie Vick is worse than Dixie Hugging Hulk Hogan. But if we were making a list of 83, this is is up there. Okay, there's a lot of bad ones. Use it online, hashtag 83 worst ideas. Now, in October, let's remind everybody, Hulk's last TV taping, September 26th. In October, Meltzer would say this, Eric Bischoff was not bound for glory or TV and isn't expected back. The story given is he'll likely be working from home, which means he's out of the picture as the key creative force. His contract is believed to expire in or around February, so he'll be getting paid until then. Bischoff being gone would indicate the likelihood of Hogan being back has decreased because Bischoff is always there to do Hogan's bidding and to make sure he was featured as a key component in storylines. There was talk that this is a way to get him out of the picture, but he wasn't let go due to the contract with the company still having time left. What's notable about this is Gaburik was looking just a few weeks ago at bringing Bischoff back as on-air talent. So were you sent home? Are you told to be a consultant? Is this your idea? What really happened? No, it wasn't my idea. I was grateful for it because I was done with it. I was so done with TNA in every way. I, I mean, I just couldn't really contribute. I didn't believe in it any longer. It was just a mess. And, uh, but I, I would not have sat out. I would have not have walked out. I would not have quit. I had a contract. I've always honored my agreements. And I would have tried the best I could under the circumstances. But the circumstances sucked. So when I think it was Dixie or maybe Dixie told Jason and Jason called me. Because Dixie was comfortable with Jason. Jason and Dixie had a different relationship than I had with Dixie. Um, Jason was easy to be around. And quite frankly, I wasn't. You know, I was vocal and, and frustrated. Um, but it was either Jason or Dixie said, Hey, just stay home. Um, we'd like you to make notes, you know, watch the show and give us your show notes at the end of every episode. So I did. And, 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 and I was being paid for that. And I was fine with that because I didn't have to travel. It was awesome. I didn't have to deal with the stupidity that I was seeing around me all the time. Uh, not stupidity, but just the lack of vision and organization and leadership. Um, was driving me batshit and I was fine. You, you want my notes? I'll give you my notes. I don't care. I was writing out my deal and I was getting paid up until the point. I think when I, when they stopped paying me under the terms of the contract, I think I was owed $90,000. Wow. And they screwed my son as well. And they only screwed him out of about 10 or 15,000. I've got all those details. We'll get there. But it, I, I was fine with it, you know? I didn't like being screwed out of money. I didn't like people breaching a contract, but it wasn't enough money for me to get all wound up about either. Let's, uh, let's read the observer quote here. Um, I do this fun thing with Tony Schiavone on his podcast. What happened when, where I will, uh, I'll just slip something in. We'll see if you can pick it out. By the way, before we get into this, you said, I'll send you my notes. Did you keep any of that? Or did you just throw it out? No, I didn't keep anything. Um, I probably have it on one of my old computers and I thought about digging it out, but you know, it was proprietary, you know, it would be kind of stepping over a legal line for me to distribute it, I guess, probably. Did they pay you? (laughs) Not anymore, but if I have it, it's on an old computer somewhere and I haven't even tried to look for it, to be honest. 
I encourage you to go look in that computer because, uh, Jeff Jarrett did roll tide. Quote, a lot of people, did he look, did he look at my notes? No, but he, we po- we've been posting show formats and all of them. I wish I could find them. You know what I really wish I could do? I mean, it's an old is, email, is it not? I mean, that's how you would have communicated it. Yeah, but I used a different email address because that you. was when I had my BHE TV email address. So gotcha. um, we've we, once Jason and I dissolved BHE, of course, we shut down that that uh, email address and and all that. So I, I, it's back there somewhere. I would just it would take a forensic technician to go back and find it. Hey guys. Want to call a quick timeout to tell your listeners what I've been telling the Kurt Angle Show audience for a while now about all cool things going on over at adfreeshows.com. Conrad sits down with World Class's David Manning and JCP's David Crockett to take a month-by-month look back through the territories. But uh, the other wrestlers didn't until the birds came along, and the birds were as heels selling as, you know, they were right up there in the same area of sales as the Von Erichs. Well, that's fascinating. I just assumed that the guys always, quote unquote, kept their picture money. If you're looking for more old school, the creator of the Aftermags, Bill After, has joined ad-free shows, revisiting some of his favorite interviews and stories. It's a picture backstage of Lou Albano before he was a captain, handing the WWWF original belt to Ivan Koloff, and that was an exclusive photo that I took in the... A dressing room hallway of the uh, of the garden. For interactive experiences, Conrad recently sat down with Ad Free Shows members for a live edition of Ask Conrad. I think Cena would be a big one. I mean, I understand uh, that that's probably not going to happen. And if I had a guy like Logan Paul trying to wrestle Cena, I think that's that's probably as big as it could get. So I could I could be convinced of that. I don't think Punk will be available, but I do disagree with Rick. I think that would be huge. I think hardcore fans would absolutely love it. Get this and other exclusive experiences, including being part of the live recordings of the podcast. Now you can be part of the show. Wow, and that's just a small taste of what AdFree Shows has waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why AdFreeShows.com is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up today. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Here's the report from the observer. A lot of people were very happy to see Bischoff go since it was noted that he was very negative with people and didn't enjoy working with him for a long time because of his track record as the guy who created nitro and the wrestling boom, he was thought of highly by spike TV, both for that. And also being a veteran of selling television properties, meaning he knows that language and has credentials outside of wrestling. He's been TNA's intermediary between them and spike. But the bloom of late has been off that rose as well. At the end of the day, Bischoff's early success in WCW came because he was lucky that a lot of very intelligent people were on board with him and they filled with good ideas. Oh my God. The joke. Dave, you are a fucking moron. (laughs) The joke used to be that you would suggest an idea to Bischoff and two weeks later in a conversation, he'd pitch the idea back to you as if it was one of his own forgetting that you were the one who brought it to him in the first place. But the fact is the ability to separate good ideas suggested from bad ideas is a talent. And he grew the company tremendously before it imploded. As best I can tell, with the exception of Hulk Hogan, none of those people had any affiliation with Bischoff this go around. And he didn't cultivate people like that. 
which resulted in few ideas like those, which turned the business around 17 years ago. Now, listen, I think we all know where this comes from, but if you're not reading between the lines, let me just say Dave Meltzer was really close friends with Zane Bresloff and Zane Bresloff and Dave had a relationship and Zane worked for WCW and Eric Bischoff and would help figure out, let's go to this market. Let's go to that market. He would help facilitate buildings and such. Is that correct, Eric? Correct. And because the house show business was a booming, Dave Meltzer has long said, well, it was all Zane. <laughs> now I don't want to take anything away from Zane Bresloff. I never met him, but I've universally heard that he was a loved and well-respected and smart person and, and, and played a great role. But when WCW was doing well, once upon a time, or the NWA was doing well, once upon a time. I don't think anybody said, boy, let's give all the credit to Gary Juster. It's, I mean, I, it's I, just I, a reflection of what a freaking moron and, and what a weak human being Dave Meltzer really is because he's projecting his own personal feelings towards me. And in, in this case, using Zane Breslov. Zane Breslov was never at a creative meeting. And Zane Breslov was a very good friend of mine, by the way, like a very good friend of mine. Zane and I talked probably no fewer than five or seven or eight times a day all for about 15 seconds or 20 seconds at a time. We always had very short conversations, but I was personally very, and so was my wife, very close to Zane. So what I'm saying to you is not out of anything, but actually love and respect for Zane, but it is what it is. The facts are what the facts are. And Meltzer doesn't have a handle on any of it. Zane Bresloff was never a part of any creative conversation I've ever had. Zane Bresloff didn't come to creative meetings. Zane Bresloff didn't come to TV. Zane Bresloff focused on finding the right buildings. And did a great job. And cutting deals with the right people. And that's where Zane's value was. Zane had a Rolodex and personal relationships, longstanding personal relationships with people that had a lot of control over the deals that we got at a lot of different venues. Zane Bresloff was able to get us into venues that prior to Zane, we weren't able to get into because Gary Juster, who was the promoter at WCW, didn't have the same relationships that Zane did. Zane cultivated those relationships over a period of 10, 15, 20 years, and they were very valuable. But for Dave Meltzer in his own fucked up universe to suggest that the reason we were having a successful live event tour was because of Zane Bresloff when it was in fact because of the television that drove the interest that made the people buy the tickets in those venues is as backwards and, and childlike. And I think a reflection of just how vapid Dave Meltzer is when it comes to WCW and, and its history and what was going on at the time. Quote, Bischoff had been the key driving force in creative. The creative going forward will be in the hands of writers, Dave Lagana and Matt Conway, as well as the guys maneuvering the direction will be uh, big from tough enough. And Jeff Jarrett, who's had a lot more and more input of late. And I was told you could see Jarrett's being relied on more and more at bound for glory in the last TVs, uh, TNA on its website posted a job for a new writer and producer which would be to fill the role Eric Bischoff had. There isn't much to it, but they want someone with a minimum of three years experience in writing and with TV production experience preferred. 
preferably someone who has written or directed or directed reality TV. They also want someone with a quote unquote, deep understanding of pop culture trends and topical events, especially as they relate to television programming. They want some with a quote unquote, experimental risk-taking mindset must be open to thinking outside of traditional <laughs> television formats and outside of the traditional linear television model. I find it hilarious, Eric, that they post a job posting on the TNA fucking website on their very own website. <laughs> and by the way, that website was horrible. It was like the worst website in, in television at the time. And by the way, how did, uh, you know, I left to, you know, right at the end of aces and eights and aces and eights, of course, got dismantled because it wasn't big's idea and it wasn't anybody else's idea. So it just kind of died shortly after I left, but uh, what happened to the ratings from the period of time when I was there involved in creative and I don't know, six months later, three months later, I, I don't know what they were, but I can tell you they tanked. Yeah. It was, it was what I would call not good. Uh, yeah, I would call it. I, I think that's when TNA started dropping below a million when 600,000 viewers was considered a good day. <laughs> Well, listen, they were looking to make a change and maybe you're looking to make a change. Uh, let me just say lots of adults choose to use nicotine, but man, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Not everyone uses nicotine, but if you do, you'll want to listen up. Get ready. This is an ad for Lucy breakers. If you're one of the millions of adults who use nicotine, you know that not all products are the same. And there's one new product that we believe stands above the rest. Lucy breakers are the only nicotine pouch that gives you a blast of flavor from the first moment to the last. Each pouch contains a capsule that you break open to release a rush of flavor that doesn't fade away. Like those other pouches, you know, the ones that rhyme with thin, they come in so many flavors, mint, berry, citrus, mango, even espresso. And you don't have to go to the gas station or corner store to get them. Just order online. They'll be shipped straight to your door. Every order gets free shipping. Plus, if you subscribe, you'll save 15% and never run out. And I got to tell you, I hooked a guy on the office up with these. He was uh, getting his nicotine fix out in the cold, out in the rain. And I said, buddy, there's got to be a better way. He loves him some Lucy. You will too. So whether you use nicotine while working, creating, or playing, Lucy Breakers are the intelligent choice. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Get $10 off your first order when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout. And shipping is always free. That's lucy.co. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive $10 off and free shipping. Visit lucy.co for more details. And we thank Lucy for sponsoring the podcast. Now here comes the fine print. Lucy products are only for adults of legal age and every order is age verified. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. One more time. That's lucy.co. And the promo code is 83 weeks. Eric, we love, uh, encouraging people for change and boy, this just feels like a whole heck of a lot easier than what some of our friends have been doing. Right? Absolutely. Plus you don't smell like a three week old ashtray. Nothing worse. <laughs> nothing worse than sitting down next to somebody or across the table from somebody and you can you, you can, you can smell it all over man. They just, they just got back in from outside. So Eric, let's, uh, let's touch on sort of what's next here. And you, you briefly touched on it, the money, 
But before we do that, I want to ask about Garrett because I am curious. He's still, he's still supposed to be with the company here and you're home. Is he still showing up to TV? Are you communicating with him? What's your fatherly advice in a circumstance like that? Uh, my advice to him was that fulfill your agreement. Yeah. Don't ever be the one to breach a contract under any circumstances. Uh, no matter how miserable it is, fulfill your agreement. Cause it's just, it's your word. It's all you got. You know, you start walking out on agreements and breaching them and it'll be a hard, hard, hard road ahead of you in terms of, you know, working with other people. <clears throat> so no, he was still showing up, but they quit paying him. They, they, they stiffed Garrett for like 10 or 15 grand and he wasn't making that much money at the time. So to stiff Garrett because he was my son. Pretty um, shitty. Creates a fair amount of, to this day, resentment. There's no reason to do that. Screwing me out of 90 grand. No big deal. Screwing my kid out of 10 or 15. That was a big deal. And I actually had, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not a litigious person. It takes a lot for me to to go that way because it's, it's essentially it's an expensive waste of time for the most part. Um, but I reached out to an attorney and I was going to do it on principle. I was, I was going to litigate until it, it, again, this was at a time when TNA was desperately trying to sell They're trying to find a buyer. And I think it was right about the time. Who's the new owners of TNA Anthem. Anthem. I think this was about the time that the Anthem transaction was in process or at least being negotiated. And I hired an attorney in Nashville who was a very, very well-known, very good attorney who pretty quickly after doing some, you know, initial work said, look, Eric, I can do this. And you're absolutely right, but it's going to cost you $180,000, $220,000 to chase 90. It's going to be a long process. Yeah. And I had just gone through the same thing. We talked about it before, but I went through a trademark, a legal trademark battle that ended up costing me a little over two, between 200 and 250 grand out of my pocket, real money, not somebody else's money, just to prove I was right. And I won. And it still cost me almost 250 grand. And I, I was just coming off of that. I was probably still in the middle of it, actually. And it was just like, damn, I'm just not going to spend more money on attorneys. I just can't do it. So I let it go. Are you surprised now, seven years later? Because I think you sued them in 2015. Are you surprised the company is, is still around? I mean, this is a company that has been, you know, said over the years, time and time again, oh, this is it. They'll never survive this. But dude, they're over 20 years old, still going strong. Somehow they've uh, Yeah, they're still going strong part. I'm not so sure about what well, it defined strong. I mean, they're on a television and I'm not being critical here, but it's not the TNA that it was seven years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, right? They're, they're on a network that almost doesn't exist. They're viewed by a couple hundred thousand people a week. Maybe I don't even know what their numbers are. I haven't looked at them forever, but yeah, the, do they exist? Yes, technically. Are they thriving and going strong? I think that's up for debate. Well, they're still putting out a great product. I was fortunate enough to uh, to go check out their show not too long ago in Louisville. They had a, a pay per view and some TV tapings, 
uh, hell of a performers, hell of a production crew. Uh, the show looks. Talk about that. Let me interrupt you there, Conrad, because who, who is their heavyweight champion? Josh. Josh Alexander, and he's phenomenal. Josh Alexander is outstanding. Yeah. And I met Josh for the. I feel really bad now, because I was at I was in Salt Lake City last weekend. DDP and I, and I did a meet and greet, and Josh was there at the table with me. But in all fairness, I don't watch impact and i didn't recognize it super nice guy we chatted briefly but i i I didn't really engage with him because i was signing autographs and you know doing my best to make people laugh and have fun and all that in the meet and greet and then the promoter of the show asked me to come out during the main event as an enforcer (laughs) look at that right who's that old guy why is he sitting there oh he's the enforcer (laughs) but um, I sat there and Josh Alexander was in the main event and wow, was I impressed? Like he's really, really good. Yes. And then I find out when I got home that he and bully are going to be wrestling in January. And I'm, while I was not necessarily interested in impact previously, which is why I hadn't been watching it and all that. I am interested now having sat at ringside and watched Josh Alexander in the ring. He's really good. And he put on a great, great match. And I'm really looking forward to him and bully. I'll tell you this. I think they're going to be in Atlanta, right? Yeah, they are. And and they started that storyline at their Louisville pay-per-view. And I don't know if you saw the footage, but Frankie Kazarian, who we both think a lot of absolutely tore it down with Josh Alexander. They went like over 40 minutes, go out of your way to see it. I really do think it's a match of the year candidate, but the post-match angle was classic old school bully Ray involving Josh Alexander's wife. I won't spoil it all the way, but man, it's something to see. Um, I'm looking forward to it. You're exactly right. Impact does have a pay-per-view it's coming up in uh, January on the 13th. And believe it or not, not only are they in Atlanta, they're at center stage. And now feels like just really, yeah. How about that? Does that sound familiar? Center stage, Atlanta, Eric Bischoff. Now here's the cool thing. They're not only doing just the pay-per-view, but they're doing a set of TV tapings the next day on the 14th. And I don't know where you thought this was going, but you and I are going to Atlanta, Georgia, Saturday, January 14th, 83 weeks live.com. We're getting the show back on the road. We want to encourage you to go pick up a ticket, go see this fantastic TNA main event, bully Ray challenging Josh Alexander. And you know, that undercard is going to be kick ass because some of the best wrestlers in the world are in impact right now. I mean, I really do believe it's one of the best kept secrets in wrestling. So why not make a weekend out of it? Cruise on over, check out the pay-per-view and the next day ahead of the TV tapings on Saturday, January 14th, 83 weeks live myself and Eric Bischoff. We're going to do your uh, VIP meet and greets, pictures and autographs, some cool swag, the whole deal. And then we'll get the show started at two 30 Eastern time. And we'll talk about things and tell stories that we just can't tell here on the program. And it's all happening in Atlanta. Eric, it's going to be here before we know it. 83 weeks live.com. This is going to be fun, dude. I've never even been to center stage. You know what? I'm going to the event. I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to impact. I want to watch it. I want to watch a match in center stage. I want to, I haven't been back to center stage since WCW Saturday night days. I want to go back and just walk around. I mean, it's really going to be cool. 
And I do want to see, because I haven't watched Impact. And it's unfair of me to be anything other than supportive of them if I haven't watched them. So I want to go and check them out. If Josh Alexander is any any indication at all of, of the talent level and impact that I'm missing out, and I, I, I want to get caught up. So I'm looking forward to going to the match for impact, and then obviously the following day. January Absolutely. 14th, Atlanta, Georgia. Eric Bischoff back in Atlanta. You don't want to miss it. And yes, I'm going to bring some cool WCW props from back in the day that you've never seen. That's not even stuff that's on camera. And, uh, you'll get your opportunity to see that stuff, take pictures, get autographs, do all your, your Eric Bischoff memorabilia, 83 weeks live.com January 14th, Atlanta, Georgia coming your way. Eric, are you surprised that Dixie's no longer in the business? No, no, <laughs> no. And look, don't want to suggest at all that Dixie's not capable of being a very successful executive. In fact, I, I would be surprised if she's not right now somewhere. I just think the wrestling, the choice to go into wrestling was probably not the best fit for her, her personality. Um, but she's a very intelligent lady and, and a very personable one. She's great in a room. She is great in a room. Um, with, with executives at any level. So, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't, wouldn't surprise me at all if she's successful in something outside of the entertainment business. We know that you've said before that you felt like your dalliance for lack of a better word with TNA was a regret of yours professionally. How do you think Hulk would classify the experience? Would he call it a regret or did he have fun? I th- I don't know. I've never really, I don't think he would look, I don't think Hulk looks at anything as a regret. You know, I think he's Hulk has become very philosophical. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's things that have happened in his life, like all of ours that we wish we could do over or wouldn't have happened. But um, no, I think, look, Hulk loved, it probably still does. The wrestling business was his life for the majority of his adult life. And I think as challenging as it was for Hulk because of his physical situation, I think that was the only thing he regretted. Yeah. If I had to say what would, what I had to imagine, what did Hulk Hogan regret about his time in TNA? It was probably because he wasn't physically able to do the things he wished he could do and contribute as much as he thought he could contribute. That would be a regret. But in terms of his time there, now Dixie and, and Hulk got along really well, and he respected her. Um, so I don't think there's any of that regret like mine. Mine is a little different. Um, and I don't regret it. You know, I've, I've, I know I've said that. I know I've implied it, even if I didn't say it. But even writing the book, Grateful, made me realize that, as I've, you know, I point out in the book, you know, so many things that, you know, for a long time, I looked at it as a negative or I resented it or was angry about it, whatever. I've, I've Over the last five or six years, it's, I've changed my view of things a lot. And look, my time in TNA, as frustrating as it was for me on an individual level, guess what? I get to work. My son's dream, and I didn't even know it at the time. I didn't find out till afterwards. But my son's dream from the time he was a little kid was to be in the wrestling business with his dad. 
And his fantasy was to be able to work a match with his dad. And TNA gave my son his childhood dream. And it gave me an opportunity to have an experience with my son that I, I, I'll cherish forever. How can I look at that as, as anything other than a, a gift, you know? And yeah, there were some things in TNA that frustrated me and blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Um, you, you move on and other opportunities come your way and you forget about it. But um, the fact that I was able to, to help my son achieve his dream and his goal and participate in it, that's a gift. And if I had to trade all the negative stuff for that one gift, I would do it again. A lot of people lay the blame of the demise of TNA. Of course, as we said, it's not dead. It's still going. We're going to the show next month. Can't wait. But, uh, a lot of people sort of point the finger at you and Hulk Hogan. How do you respond to that? You know, ignorance is, you know, the true definition of ignorance is lack of information or knowledge. And anybody that would suggest that TNA's fate was a result of Eric Bischoff and Hulk Hogan are living examples of their personifications of ignorance, lack of information and knowledge. I, uh, I want to use this quote from your book grateful, which by the way, is available now, uh, over on Amazon, just go to amazon.com and, uh, type that in, uh, grateful Eric Bischoff, and you'll, uh, you'll have it in time for Christmas. It's the perfect gift for the wrestling fan in your life. This holiday season, here's what you wrote. I'll always be grateful to Dixie Carter and TNA for making that possible. As for Dixie in the final analysis, she was never the person calling the shots. Her parents called the shots. She was caught in the middle as much as I was. And in her own way, elegant and professional as always, Dixie tried to do the best job she could while she had responsibility over some important lower level matters, like hiring talent, for example, the real management of TNA, including the development of a vision for the company was never within her purview. I don't think anybody's ever put that together. Like you did there, Eric, did you realize that at the time? Or did you realize that? After the fact, no, it's pretty obvious, you know, and, 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 and by the way, it's not bad. It just is what it was. And like, anytime you've got a funding partner who is funding your company, but is not operationally involved on a day-to-day basis, that's a challenge. You know, it, it, it's what, you know, that's why people, you know, I, who have come to me about raising money for certain things. And I've been in situations where I've raised money for projects, in some cases, millions of dollars. And great. You go out, you're successful. You've got an investor for a million or $2 million or in TNA's case, I've heard the rumor being upwards of $30 million initially. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I, I was never privileged to the exact numbers, but, um, Anytime you bring in a funding partner who doesn't know anything about the business they're funding, it is only a matter of time before you've got issues. And it doesn't matter who the funding partner is. If they're not in your business, if they don't have a basic fundamental understanding, and not only a basic fundamental understanding, if you've got a funding partner, this is my opinion based on experience, 
if you don't have a funding partner that not only understands your business, but brings strategic value, you've got the wrong partner. And, and I think that was the case with TNA. And again, not, not a criticism, just a reality. And this reality exists in all kinds of businesses. You know, there, there's money and then there's smart money. Money is when you bring in an investor who has no understanding of your business, not participating in your business, simply bringing money to the table. But guess what? With that money comes a voice. With that money becomes a challenge in, in, in terms of processes and approvals, things like that. And when you've got that kind of a partner without any feel, understanding, or relationship to your business, that's a bad choice. That's a bad funding partner. Whereas if you've got a funding partner, for example, like Viacom Network or anybody else that's in the industry of television, it's a lot easier to have strategic conversations with people who understand your business than it is with someone who has no understanding of it and actually doesn't want to have an understanding of it, which was, I think, the case with Panda. My impression, based on things that I had heard, was that Panda was originally interested in coming in and making an initial investment, allegedly of 30 some odd million dollars. And all they really wanted to do was get their money out and then wanted TNA to be able to survive on its own. Again, that's what I've heard. I don't know that that's true. Could be, maybe not. Or maybe there's some something in the middle, probably more likely. It's usually the case. But regardless, that wasn't smart strategic money. That was just money. And those deals almost always go bad in my, in, in my experience. Well said, I, uh, I really enjoyed today's show. I don't know what I uh, would have expected. Uh, when we first clicked record, we were all over the place today. I think it was a great episode of 83 weeks. I hope you guys, uh, agree. There are tons and I mean, tons of questions that we got during the show. And of course, uh, over social media. I think what we're going to do though, Eric, is we're going to save those for a bonus episode over on adfreeshows.com. Uh, we have talked to each other's ears off today, but I had a blast and I can't wait for us to do it in person and, uh, and, and catch up. We're going to have two opportunities to, uh, ruffle each other's feathers before then, including December 28th, right after AEW dynamite, you and Nick Patrick on the exact anniversary uh, the 25th anniversary, in fact, of Starcade 1997. We're going to be getting together on ad free shows to take a look at the fast count from the main event with Hulk Hogan and Sting. But then on Saturday, December 14th, man, in person, Atlanta, Georgia, 83weekslive.com is the place to be. Get your pictures, get your autograph, and hear plums of, tons of stories, plenty of stories that we can't share here on the program from Eric Bischoff. That's 83weekslive.com. Uh, don't forget that book it's available at Amazon. You can find it at Amazon. It's easy to do grateful. There it is right there. You see it. Uh, just go over to amazon.com, punch it in, uh, or you can pick it up at bischoffbook.com. I want to mention or remind everybody, uh, that we're looking for your, uh, your, your five-star ratings. You may have seen a little post on social media. If you'll leave us a five-star rating, boy, it really helps our algorithm. We would greatly appreciate it. If you haven't already hit the subscribe button. You'll also pick up not just 83 weeks, but strictly business, a brand new free podcast on this same feed. You just got to hit subscribe. If you're looking to see how Eric is going to troll Rick, Bish, uh, 
Eric is going to troll Ric Flair this week. Easy for me to say. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to leave Rick alone, brother. As long as Rick, look, if Rick keeps his my name out of his mouth and off of his social media, you won't hear a word from me. But if he mouths off, don't be surprised. He's gonna. Uh, he's gonna get a little bit of that liquid courage, and he's gonna. And you want to see how Eric responds to that? At E Bischoff on Twitter. He's on Instagram at the real Eric Bischoff. You can find him on Facebook at E Bischoff. And of course, interact with us on Twitter with the show. If you got a question about next week's program, well, that's easy, man. It's at 83 weeks. Speaking of next week, we're going to be talking about the power plant. Your first introduction to it, what you thought of it, who managed it during your time there, how often you were there, the importance of the developmental system, the evolution of it, how it was advertised and whether or not it was the inspiration for the performance center. I think we know the answer. Uh, by the way, if you go ahead and sign up at adfreeshows.com, you could be in our live studio audience as we record this show, uh, next week. So check us out, man. 83 weeks on youtube.com. Hit the subscribe button, hit the uh, like button, hit the notifications bell, introduce the wrestling fan in your life to our show on YouTube, 83 weeks on YouTube. Any last words about TNA? I know we're going to do some fan questions as a bonus over on adfreeshows.com, but is there anything else you have on your chest this morning you want to get off? No, you know, I, 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 as I've learned to, you know, reflect back on TNA, I, I reflect back much more positively than I probably did a couple of years ago. And I'm grateful for that because it's not fun carrying around negative baggage. It's just not, you know, it's like having a bunch of garbage that you're tri- you're driving around with in the back of your truck. You know, eventually it just quits being fun. So I, I, I look back at it now and you know, let's look back and look at some of the great talent that came out of TNA, you know, um, James Storm, Bobby Roode, AJ Styles, Frankie Kazarian, Chris Daniels, and so many more, so many more. And I, I, I do looking back to the aces and eight storyline, people can have their opinion about it. It was one of the storylines that I'm most proud of in terms of its structure and the way it built and, and, and its results. Uh, Bully Ray, I think, echoes that as well. Um, so the, a lot of positive things came out of TNA, not just the things that, unfortunately, we talk about because it's the controversial stuff and it's the negative stuff. And it's the stuff that people want to hear about and learn about, and it's there. But a lot of other really good stuff came out of TNA, too. And I think all of us, especially me, by the way, needs to remember that. So thank you for for. And Derek Sabato for, you know, the, the, the research that went into this and you Conrad for, for, for co-hosting this, because it's uh it's a reminder to me to, you know, look at the bright side and not just be so fucking bitter and negative all the time. Well, listen, I like when you're bitter and negative about Rick, because we get to fight at the top of the show and, uh, <laughs> and you, you better start, you better start eating your Wheaties. December 28th is going to be here. You know what, dude? I don't need any Wheaties to keep up with Ric Flair. Trust me. Look, Rick, Rick is one of the best that ever stepped foot in the ring. But this kind of thing, this is not Rick's world. <laughs> Rick does not want to mess with this. Right? Well, that's fair so, to say. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we had fun. Want any of this. Give him a heads up. We had fun this week. Hope you did too. Hope you'll make plans to join us in Atlanta. It's easy. It's 83weekslive.com. Uh, check us out on YouTube, 83weeksonyoutube.com. And we'll see you next week right here talking all about the power plant on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff.
Hey everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day. Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.